Weather today in the ground. I love you so badly. I could... They're solid plastic, so don't settle for imitation. But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. <laughs> Good evening, this is Penelope Watts, and this is the best of an Alan Smithy podcast. You give us 153 minutes and we'll give you 153 minutes of words. For almost one sixteenth of a century, they thrilled us with their adventures, amazed us with their discoveries, and inspired us with their courage. Their podcast has journeyed beyond imagination, its name has become legend, its hosts, the finest ever assembled. We have traveled with them from the back row of the theater to too close to the television. They have been our guides, our protectors, and our friends. Now, join them for one last adventure, because, at the end of history lies, Hollywood, burn, Hollywood, burn. From the 5th of May 2014, it's the extra special final episode of an Alan Smithy podcast, featuring a recap of every episode and a feature discussion of Alan Smithy, sorry, Arthur Hill's 1998 film, an Alan Smithy film, burn Hollywood burn. Stop. They have thrilled us with their adventures, amazed us with their discoveries, and inspired us with their courage. We have traveled beside them from one corner of the galaxy to the other. They have been our guides, our protectors, and our friends. Now you are invited to join them for one last adventure. For at the end of history lies an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn. Hi everyone and welcome to an Alan Smithy podcast. My name is Matt and my blog is cinemachine.blogspot.com. And my name is Andrew and my blog is thestopbutton.com. And welcome to the final episode of an Alan Smithy podcast, our little uh, podcast that we've been running for five years um, and, you know, transformed America. Uh, it's been almost exactly five years. I can't believe it. Are you sure it hasn't <laughs> almost been six years? Well, I, I looked back on this and the very first episode we recorded was in June 2008. We were talking about John Carpenter. Yep. We went We went through his whole filmography. And it's May of 2014. Great. Isn't that six oh. years? Yeah. Good Lord. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in other words, uh, it's time to tie this thing off. Um, because, look, people, six years ago, um, <laughs> there, weren't, there weren't that many uh, movie podcasts. I know it seems hard to believe, I mean, because they're everywhere now. Um, and I guess maybe we got in on the ground floor, but we uh, we only ever treated this as just kind of a hobby, you know, just something to do for fun. And we've had a lot of fun with it. Um, but you know, it's really you can't compete. Even if even if we even if we became master self marketers in the podcasting world right now, um, two things. Number one, we've only ever talked about the kind of mo- whatever movies we felt like watching, basically. Which is why it took us a long time to even decide. It took us like a, the, a whole year yeah. to, to even decide on the format of doing double features. And even then, um, 
it took us a lot. We were just pairing random movies together. Um, I think it was not until, uh, not really until um, 2011. So we had like a, a good two-year period of just doing random random movies paired together. And the thing is, you know, like everything else in this world, you got to have a niche. And especially like everything on the internet, you got to have a niche. So we were really not able to capture a niche just doing random whatever the hell movies. And even when we started pairing stuff together, you know, like Revenge of the Nerds 1 and 2 or uh, um, Alien and Alien 2 on Earth or the Muppet movie and uh, Muppets from Space, I mean... The only the only real consistent thing to the to the Alan Smithy podcast was uh, Andrew and I, and uh, we're not like big enough movie bloggers right. on our own to garner an audience. Andrew's a lot closer to it than I am because he actually does have like a movie blog that's updated five days a week, whereas my movie blog has just been whenever the hell I feel like it, pretty much. So, um, you know, we just that's why we decided it was about time to to wrap it up. I think in the future it's not out of the realm of possibility that we'll like you know compile a lot of what we think of our best episodes and maybe throw together like some best of Alan Smithy podcast uh, MP3s to download, perhaps on uh, Andrew's site, the Stop Button, or on my site, Cinema Machine. Um, but you know, we'll see. In any case, at this point, we've kind of moved on from it. Uh, but boy, you know, we've 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 come a long way, and uh, we've watched a lot of movies. And we're going to talk about all the movies that we've watched, just kind of do a, you know one last little check in on them. But um, we're, we're first, start. it's time. To, first, yeah. it's time. First, it's time to start with uh, with the movie that gave this podcast its namesake. Um, there was a little movie called Burn Hollywood Burn, an Alan Smithy film, or an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn, or uh, according to the titles of the movie itself, just Burn Hollywood Burn. I think an Alan Smithy film must have been added, you know, at some later point, and it was probably just intended as Burn Hollywood Burn. But you know, the quick skinny on this movie is that it was Joe Esterhouse. Um, you want to say like airing his dirty laundry, but as Roger Ebert, you know, our, our off-time go-to, you know, lamoid mainstream reviewer f- by comparison, to, f- you know, to us for a lot of these movies we've seen, uh, Ebert makes a pretty salient point in his review of this movie, his, you know, zero stars review, which is actually a fair assessment. Um, it's got It's got the feeling of like an inside joke but one that isn't funny, one that's like a little too smug and a little too, you know, not wanting to bite the hand that feeds it too much because, you know, it's all posturing, like the title, you know, like this is going to be this incredibly anti-Hollywood movie. But it was the brainchild of Joe Esterhouse who was infamous in the – became infamous in the 90s for getting huge paychecks for really trashy scripts and being like this, you know – huge ego in the industry which is unusual in an industry where the writer gets shat upon and um i don't know it's like he thought he could make his version of the player or something and it's just so but it's just so asinine and unfunny that it it fails on pretty much every conceivable level and um it was directed by arthur hiller uh but he went with the alan smithy pseudonym because he thought that you know they the studio released Esther House's uh cut of it and um not his but you really have to wonder if that was planned for the beginning as a lame ass publicity stunt it probably was 
because <laughs> you know Arthur well, Arthur Arthur Hiller just come off of like carpool here with Tom Arnold. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he really did fall far. Um, even though yeah. the hospital is one that I have respect for the hospital more than I think it's great. Um, and that was sort of one of his big ones from the seventies. And yeah, so watching the movie, I remember all of the. Well, I vaguely remember what a big deal it was uh, that it got trumped up into a very big deal at the time because Joe Esterhaus was such a notable figure. I mean, this was post Showgirls, so he was. This was his response to people shitting all over him for Showgirls, <laughs> right? And um, I don't know. I mean, if we'd done this for the first episode, I don't even know if we could have mustered the enthusiasm to keep going. Because <laughs> I've never had any interest whatsoever in seeing this, and so I didn't know anything about it. Like, I didn't know it was a mock mockumentary. And, like, the worst freaking mockumentary you've ever seen. <laughs> like, made by people who haven't... You're just like, Joe Esterhaus has never seen a documentary. Yeah. I mean, it's just... And the edit... Oh, God, it just... Okay, so... It starts with this uh, preview, or this this scene where they're filming uh, Sylvester Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, and Jackie Chan in a movie together. And so the the idea of the movie is is that they the studio puts together this movie. Shane Black originally wrote it because like that's still a thing. Like Shane Black was still like a guy when this was made, and I'm just like. Uh, that really is dated because Shane Black, you know, did what was it, Long Kiss Goodnight, and then didn't make another movie for nine years. So it's really weird that he's your your go to screenwriter, but it must have been somebody that Joe Esterhaus, you know, liked or something. So or liked Joe Esterhaus enough to be in this. But then you got Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, and Jackie Chan in there, and what's going to be the biggest movie of all time? And it's just like really dumb, like logic for. The, the way Esther House is presenting Hollywood. So, I mean, it's not like... The premise, the premise is that um, there's a director whose name really is Alan Smithy, and the studio recuts his movie, and he hates it, and he can't take his name off of it because his name really is Alan Smithy. Ha, ha, ha. And um, so, yeah, he, he steals apparently the only negative of the movie in the world, thus holding the producers hostage. And he's on the run, and he's on the run. He's on the lamb, and then nothing happens for a really long time. And then um, he joins up with some black filmmakers who are like parodies of the of the Hughes brothers, and they negotiate on his behalf. And then he destroys the movie print anyways. And then the twist, happy ending, is that suddenly the deals are pouring in for him to have his life story made into a movie, the like the Alan Smithy story. And it's like it's an hour and twenty minutes of just excruciatingly like it's it's two things. Number one, it's it's a, it's supposed to be a freewheeling satire of Hollywood, but it it there's like for you know for for a supposed or no for a real Hollywood insider like Joe Esterhaus, there's like no jokes about the sleaziness of Hollywood producers or actors or anything that somebody who isn't a part of the Hollywood system couldn't have come up with because they're just like the most broad, like, you know, these people are all sleazy and power hungry and egomaniacal 
kind of jokes. And vaguely racist. Don't forget once the vaguely well, we'll, racist. Well, let's, yeah. let's, we'll, get, let's get to that. Let's get to that in a few minutes here. But um, the other thing is that it's kind of like dumb, a dumb person making fun of dumb people and dumb things. I mean, not not as much as just like the the lack of inspiration or incisiveness on making fun of Hollywood. Like, it's not as big a problem as that. But the fake trailer with Whoopi Goldberg, Sylvester Stallone, and Jackie Chan, it's like, it's supposed to be a parody of dumb action movie trailers, but it's so dumb that it can't even get that right. Right. And, I mean, especially in 96... I guess the IMDb trivia says that the original people in the trailer were supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis, who obviously said no because they had jobs at the time. But it's like Whoopi Goldberg was done. You know, Jackie Chan didn't break out here and rumble in the Bronx. And Sylvester Stallone was, you know, at a low point again. So you're watching it and it's like it doesn't take that into the humor of that into account. I mean, the only way this movie could possibly work as if somebody had taken it away from Joe Esterhaus and been like, well, this is really shitty. Like we should make fun of the script while we make the movie. And clearly they can't do that because Joe Esterhaus is in charge of it. So yeah. And there's swearing in this preview. And I'm like, well, that, that, that's stupid. Like (laughs) I was like that, that you've already just thrown out any realism to this. So and that's in the first, I don't know, three minutes, and the, the rest of the movie is, you know, just as unoriginally bad. Yeah, and most of it revol- – I mean, yeah, they make fun of actors, and yeah, they make fun of directors a little bit, but the real point of the movie is to make fun of producers, and the most screen time goes to these two producers who, you know, took Alan Smithy's movie away from him, and they're played by um, Richard Jenny who's actually, like, who sort of, like, perseveres in spite of the oh. movie that he's in. No, really, I mean, I think I, Richard... Yeah, Jen- I didn't like, like, him, like yeah. you, well, you could sort, But you could sort of imagine Richard Jenny, like, actually playing a funny, sleazy Hollywood producer in a, in a movie that was actually funny. You could see that, yeah. Because he's, he's got that tone of voice. He's, you know, he's got the personality for it. Um, but the other guy who fares even worse than he does is... Um, uh, what's his Ryan face? O'Neal. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan O'Neill. And it's like Arthur Hiller directing Ryan O'Neill again for the first time since love story. Right. So and it's just like, and <laughs> Ryan O'Neill, I think his problem is he's very contemptuous of it. And it's obvious because since it's a mockumentary, like, uh, some of the takes, I'm like, did you guys really want to keep that? Cause I think Ryan O'Neill just rolled his eyes at Richard James' <laughs> line riv- delivery. Like this is, yeah. you know, you, you can just look at Ryan O'Neill and you can tell that he's sitting there going, what the hell happened to my career? Like, he's like, he's looking at Arthur remembering better times. You know? He's just like, do you have any idea how much, you know, how popular I used to be and how I never would do this kind of crappy movie. And I mean, to some extent, um, well, I mean, let's get the Jackie Chan thing out of the way. Like they play Jackie Chan as like a, a spoof of himself. And, in theory, it could be people's only exposure to Jackie Chan on film as opposed to, like, a name you'd heard about in 1996. Like, because if you yeah. didn't see Rumble in the Bronx or what was the other one? The cop Super one. Cop. Super Cop. Like, you're yeah. like, oh, I've heard of his movies. Oh, he makes fun of the fact that he can't speak English and he's Chinese all the time. That's all he does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Stallone does this thing where... 
he makes fun of himself and it's kind of funny because you know it, it's funny for Stallone to make to be self-aware. It's, it's not as it's not as funny as Stallone making fun of himself in uh, the video that Trey Parker and Matt Stone shot about you know what it's like to be a Universal Studios employee. With which is really funny if you've never seen it. It's like Stallone, and they get a bunch of other. If you want, if you want to see a mockumentary with celeb, lots of celebrity cameos, that is actually kind of incisively funny. Of, of you know, a funny mockery of uh, big Hollywood studio filmmaking. I can't remember what it's called, but you know, you can Google Trey Parker, Matt Stone, uh, Universal Studios film. Um, Sylvester Stallone makes fun of himself a lot better in, in that one than he does here. Yeah. Because he probably had, I mean, I'm sure Joe Esterhouse made him deliver at least, you know, three quarters of the lines in this. And the problem is, is that, so the way the, when I was saying that it, it seems like Joe Esterhouse hasn't seen a documentary before is that, so the narrative of the story um, of Alan Smithy, the director, is, you know, it's like done in these inter- uh, past tense interviews where I guess Joe Esterhouse thought it'd be really cool if, you know, the story progressed from person to person, only it's like they heard the interviewer who you never really hear, like told them what the other person said, and then it cuts back and forth. Yeah, like he's, he said what? You know, yeah, you know no way. Just, That's oh. absolutely not true. But the thing that really tips you off to Joe Esterhouse never having seen a documentary or just not, you know, caring enough when he was writing this to make it feel like a Christopher Guest kind of thing is that um, it'll cut from the interviewees to the same people who are being interviewed like the way it really happened. Right. So there's just so there's just no as you said there's just like no basis in reality whatsoever to it. It's constantly shifting back and forth between like, you know, a narrative that's actually happening to the mockumentary thing, but with the same people. And there's no there isn't even a caption like, you know, recreation or right. recreation using the actual people or something. Oh, the caption. Because even because because even that wouldn't make sense. Oh, yeah, and the captioning, right? Ugh. Basically, in the in the first twenty minutes or so, whenever new characters are introduced, there's like you know a freeze frame, and then captions describing, humorously describing people as you know, whatever three time a winner, whatever gives their credit credentials, and then it also calls them scumbags or sluts or douchebags or or whatever. Or, or if they're or if they're any woman except Whoopi Goldberg, they're identified as a feminist. <laughs> Yeah, no. There's a real there's a real contempt for women in this. I know from the writer of of Basic Instinct and Showgirls. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and there's also kind of a condescending racist admiration yeah. for 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 black people because they're the ones who come to the character Alan Smithy's aid by you know nego- going in to negotiate for him with the studio sleazebags and, and you know using using their tough blackness to fight for him like you know fuck you motherfucker Alan Smithy wants final cut you know and um it's a it's a theme in Esther House's work because remember in Showgirls like there's the you know yeah Na- 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 Naomi Malone's only friends are like this tough black chick and this and the black guy with dreadlocks who she oh. has sex with. Um, so it's, and yeah. it's it's Chuck D and Coolio playing them, and I mean, 
I guess they're they're not as bad as some of the other performers because you can tell. No, like, they're kind of they're kind of better than a lot of other people because, in the movie. Yeah, I think they probably just came on set and like looked at the script and were like, okay, this will take like two minutes. And you know, Coolio looks stoned off his ass, so like, sure, he was fine. Like, but yeah, it's this really weird thing, and they don't even fully. I mean, I think that's well. It wouldn't fix anything in the movie, but you're kind of it's it's the it's 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 the closest that the movie ever comes to. It seems like it's about to make some kind of clever point about Hollywood, because it, there, it's almost like saying you know, new popular black filmmakers like the Hughes brothers or Spike Lee don't play by the same rules as these big studio guys, so that's a thing but then it and you know but then it's just a cheap joke like you know yeah they're tougher than they are so they can negotiate for alan smithy and no point is made yeah i mean there's well what is it bullworth was two years later with warren Beatty. oh yeah bullworth So, I mean, it's almost like if they'd done Bullworth two years earlier, if they'd done anything with it, um, but they don't. And, I mean, Eric Idle plays Alan Smithy, and I remember when they made this, it took them forever to find anybody to even be in this stupid movie because it was like a Joe <laughs> Esterhouse production, and they hired Arthur Hiller late, and, like, nobody really – And it's and it's a mockumentary about Hollywood. Sound and, good, guys, right? Uh, huh? Huh? Who wants to who wants to sign up for this? Clearly uh, Harvey Weinstein because he, 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 he shows up in it. And it's Hollywood picture – oh, no, my favorite is when it's – um. I, I like started watching it and it's synergy, the synergy logo. And I don't know if anybody remembers anymore because they've been out of business since about this time. Um, they did a bunch of action movies back then. Um, big time action movies. Uh, like didn't Carolico become synergy or something? Uh, no, I don't know, but they put together the money for stuff like Die Hard three. And so when there's the action, shots or the explosions in the uh trailer for this this the well the other thing about this this movie stole is it's not just the most expensive movie ever made it's also like the best reviewed r-rated um you know blockbuster ever made right and so all the explosion shots are from die hard three and i'm just kind of like oh it's it's just like (laughs) They don't even make a joke about that. That should be part of the joke. And they couldn't even uh, – you mentioned it earlier about how he he can't take his name off of it. And something that's really missing for this is there's nobody from the Directors Guild saying why he can't take his name off of this. Like that needed to be there. Whenever it came up, he was always like, but I can't. My name's Alan Smithy. And it's like yeah, all the all, all you get is a pre-credits title card, just you know, saying, "Oh, by the way, the Directors Guild pseudonym for directors who want to take their name off the movie is Alan Smithy." And if your name is Alan Smithy, then you're fucked, haha! And here's a movie about it. I mean, and oh, another another uh, another cameo, another you know, supposed self-parody cameo that doesn't quite pan out is uh, Robert Evans, oh, who was God. kind of. Had, he was kind of having his, you know, comeback right about now because this was about the time that his uh, auto bio, the kid stays in the picture, had just come out. And yeah. it's not. It's like it's like all these people playing. Yeah, I don't, man, there's there's really nothing worse than like seeing somebody trying to make fun of themselves and failing at it. 
and this movie's just a marathon of it. Except not even, because they could barely get anybody to be in it. But it feels like what they're trying to channel almost is um, the Larry Sanders show, which is like, you know, that the HBO sh- series of the fake t- late-night talk show where Gary Shandling plays a Johnny Carson type. And that was a great, amazing show, and pretty much every episode has, like, actors and musicians and people making fun of themselves really well because the script's like really funny and always walking that fine line between you know mocking them and also and also but not but not degrading them so right i I mean if you can get what was it um i don't i think it's the last episode to date of curb your enthusiasm if you can get michael j fox and they're making fun of the idea that he uses parkinson's to get shit in life like the fact that Joe Esterhouse couldn't get anybody to do anything good. Well, it's like Joe Esterhouse apparently didn't even want to get Joe Esterhouse. I mean, that would have been the real reason to do this movie is if it was like about Joe Esterhouse playing himself, kidnap, you know, running off with the print of a movie because of dispute with the studio. Like it's it's about you, Joe. Like why don't you own, you know just make it literally? You should have made it literally about you. You you should have starred in it. Especially instead of, instead when poor poor paycheck cashing Eric Idle. Yeah, um, going when they were like, we really wanted John Cleese, but th- this guy was in Monty Python, right? Um, there's this one point where Richard Jenny's talking about all the directors they could have gotten, and they bring up Stuart Baird, who at this point had maybe only made Executive Decision. Yeah, that would have come out in '95, I think, right? And you know. That was like a, a pretty uh, decent-sized hit for what it was, and everybody was like, oh, who's this Stuart Baird guy? He was this editor who might have been editing back till like, the Superman days. Um, and the Alan Smithy character is an editor who they give this directing job to because they think they can control him. Well, of course, the joke is that you know, Joe Esterhouse apparently couldn't foresee is that that's like what Stuart Baird's known for is being like the studio's whipping boy director, like, cause his mm-hmm. next movie was us marshals and you know, that sucked. And everybody was like, Oh, it's the end of Stuart Baird. And it kind of was, um, then he went back to editing. So it's just poorly. I, you can I, like, where's Paul Verhoeven? Shouldn't he have had something <laughs> to say about this? And no, because he knew it was even. That would have, yeah, yeah. It could have used. It could have used a nice Paul Verhoeven uh, cameo where he's saying like, you know, wow, you know, you have these shitty scripts, you can still make. Uh... Well, but people didn't know in 1997 that you know, Showgirls was the classic that it was going to become. But you know, speaking of Paul Verhoeven, it's like Basic Instinct was this huge mainstream hit because. It was this really trashy thing, and and you know Verhoeven directed it really well, and people just went to see it and and enjoyed it as this really trashy thing. Um, but with Showgirls, it's like just as dumb and trashy. But like that time around, Verhoeven was just like embracing that even more to the point of absurdity. But people didn't have a sense of humor about it, so they just all thought it was this really bad movie, and. It's, you know, at the very least, it's so bad, it's good. It's, like, you know, over the top and, like, gloriously so. Um, I don't think that's how Esther Howe's intended it to be. But, yeah, like you said, he makes this movie in response to people shitting all over him 
because of Showgirls. And there's even a line in the movie, you know, which is a real clunker, like all the other funny lines where Richard Jenny goes, I mean, this movie was bad. It was worse than Showgirls. So it's like, does Esther House really think that Showgirls was a bad movie? And if so, does he think that it's because of how Verhoeven directed it? And if, you know, I, I guess so, because like otherwise, yeah, he might have had an, uh, a Verhoeven cameo with Verhoeven talking about like you know how to direct a a bad script into a hit that would have been that would have helped somewhat well i mean oh, i'm just trying to think of so there's okay so they're the producers there's a lot with the agents and what it, it also feels like, so this was 96, 97. Oh, this was 97. So, yeah, Stuart Baird was probably, probably already a punchline by this point. But it came after Get Shorty, which really pop, repopularized the make fun of Hollywood um, type of thing. And that was 95 or 90. I think it was 95. Because um, the big picture wasn't a hit which was Christopher Guest's attempt at doing something about breaking into Hollywood. So, you know, it's clear that Esterhaus thinks he can use a certain amount of uh, vocabulary about Hollywood and people will get it. But my favorite's, uh, what's his face's agent? Um, Eric I- is Alan Smithy's agent who's, you know, got this long, he's got long hair. He's got Dennis Miller hair, only nicer, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. um He's identified as a scumbag, liar, you know, douchebag, whatever. And then the guy's like, all right. Like, the worst thing he wants to do is, like, re-sign Alan Smithy at the end of the movie or something. Or he, like, hides him for a second when he's on the run. Like, the guy's totally fine. And that's when I was thinking, so did Arthur Hiller go, yeah, I probably don't want my name on this thing that's, like, making fun of Janet Maslin. Like, that's really mean. Like, it's... Oh if, yeah. If yeah. you're making, if it was such a big deal to Siskel and Ebert that Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin shit all over him and Godzilla, like <laughs> this is yeah. just like, you know, Janet Maslin's like, you know, hyper obese and like talking about how, you know, whatever she does is going to be great because yeah, Eric's and it's name. not, and it's not a Janet Maslin playing herself. No, it's not. It's, it's like you know, the character's the, name is something like Manet Jaslin or something. Like it's <laughs> right. just, it's really subtle, you know. And she mm-hmm. probably said, "Hell, you know, it's another." And I'm sure in one of her reviews of a Joe Esterhaus movie, she was like, "Oh, it's another shitty Joe Esterhaus script." And it's like it is. All of Joe Esterhaus's scripts are shitty. All of them. I mean, to say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Basic Instinct's a beautiful freaking movie because, you know, Paul Verhoeven got, he didn't just get good editors, good, uh, a good photographer. He also, like, took the time to do amazing special effects that didn't need to be there for, like, what, you know, 30, 45 seconds of screen time. He had, um, that that awesome uh, Rob, yes. yeah the yeah, Rob, Rob Bottin the Rob Bottin yeah. thing and it's just like that's why it worked is because of that amount of of care for the project and it's just like apparently Joe Hesterhaus thought it was because of him like yeah and everybody else did too <laughs> I mean boy I mean, you talk about uh, in messing uh, not understanding the hierarchy of creative input here this is a Burn Hollywood Burn is a movie complaining that um, you know, the director gets no respect, 
but it's the statement from a, a writer who feels like, yeah, right. That the only the only time because the Janet Maslin Manet Jaslin character is the one who wrote this movie, right? That's been yeah. kidnapped by Alan Smithy, and it's supposed to be so great. So is that it's like Esther House doesn't even know what statements he's trying to make. So he's saying that like you know the writer is crucial to the success of a movie or the quality of it. It isn't. It's like all, the only thing he knows, the only statement he can make in this movie is that he doesn't like producers. And and he can't really make fun of them that well because he's not that smart. And because, well, I don't know if because of this, but it's like they're the, they made him who he is. They're the ones who, you know, because of their shitty taste, made him rich off of these god-awful scripts most of you know and by the end of his career and this movie really was the end of his career you know it's like the one good thing to have come out of it um he made slightly he wrote slightly more flops than hits i mean it's pretty much just just comes down to like flash dance and uh basic instinct and all the rest did like middling to nothing and showgirls was a huge bomb and this was a huge bomb and that was it for him and arthur hiller yeah well well, okay, Arthur Arthur Hiller did direct National Lampoon's Pucked um, a little over ten years later. So did Arthur Hiller direct yeah. the Stupids? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> no. There, uh, yeah. Speaking of Joe Esterhaus, the only other thing was is in '97 uh, he also did. Well, I've never seen Telling Lies in America, and that was supposedly his, you know, like a good movie attempt at like doing a a good movie. Um, but I haven't seen it. Uh, he did the, he, he apparently got paid $4 million to do, uh, like a treatment. It sounds like for one night stand, which Mike Figgis did as his follow up to leaving Las Vegas with Wesley Snipes and Robert De Niro or Robert Downey Jr. And Natasha Kinski. And I, f- I love that movie. Like <laughs> I just watched it. I mean, not a few years ago, but I mean, I love it. And he had his name taken off of it. Cause he's like, that's not my movie. Like that's not my great idea. And it was like, no, it was, it was actually good. <laughs> um, cause Mike Figgis can occasionally do good things when he's not trying to be experimental. But yeah, when you look at, um, okay, let's, let's get off Esther house for a second. Cause I, I did want to say that doing like an Alan Smithy biopic sounds like a fun idea on the other hand. Like if you actually yeah. had to do a biopic of somebody, like that, like that Peter Jackson uh, mockumentary about um, this great pioneering silent filmmaker who never actually existed, Forgotten Silver. Right. Like with Alan Smithy, he, the movies are so weird. You could work out some sort of narrative for it, and it, it'd be cool. Like because mm-hmm. it would go from big stuff at the beginning to TV by the end. And it would it would have a you know natural petering out of a of a career, and it'd be kind of interesting. And it, you could do funny stuff because you would you would interview the people who are involved with the actual movies. And I, I don't know why Joe Esterhouse chose Alan Smithy as the thing to center his you know rant around. A rant around how, oh no, everybody in Hollywood's racist except me, and yeah, yeah, and it's just like, I don't know, and it's, it might be 
some of this is a movie. This is a movie attacking producers for messing with a director and thus all creative people's integrity of vision. But what if your vision is really shitty? Well, that's and, like a point that he that he can't address because he's and, Joe Esterhaus. But the other thing he can't address is that what? Okay, so he worked with a producer who used to be thought of as not shitty and quite good, you know, Robert Evans, right? He worked with Robert Evans at Paramount on Sliver and Jade, and they both suck. So even having a good producer or someone who used to be a good producer doesn't really matter. And, yeah, it's like, well, what about an action movie where the producer really does pull it together? Because there are tons of those. I mean, you know box cutter um cookie cutter action movies are not really i mean they have nine screenwriters anyway and so did some of his movies and it's just there's no you know it's a good box cutter action movie though united 93 yeah there you go wow i'm sorry wow you went there wow um all right. Well, I mean, what else is there to say about an Alan Smithy film or in Hollywood Burn? Ever. Well, it was, you know, I guess if nothing else, this movie was uh, the inspiration of the title for our podcast because that particular phrase, an Alan Smithy film, stuck in my head. And, uh, you know, an Alan Smithy podcast seemed to make sense when I suggested it to you. Yeah. That's another thing is it took us forever to come up, and now we're switching gears into the retrospective. Everyone, it took us forever to come up with the title. I remember, we took it took us a while because back when we started this, yeah, there weren't like if you had a movie podcast, it would be called something like the Movie Podcast or something. Well, the, like that. and this yeah. is and this was part of the problem of yeah not having a specific theme for a movie podcast, you know. There's a million. There's this million zillion horror movie podcasts on the internet because, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of nerds on the internet who like horror movies. And if you're if you've got a horror movie podcast, you know, it's probably not too hard to come up with a catchy title. But you know, a title for a podcast where you just talk about whatever movies you feel like. I mean, yeah, and, and the thing too was like, you know, you had your blog, you had your blog, I had my blog, and it's like we weren't, you know, we couldn't call it either the Cinemachine podcast or the um, Stop, you know, Button. Stop Button yeah. podcast. I think at one point I actually suggested that to you because I figured like, well, you know, you're way more prolific on your movie blog than I am with mine. We should just, you know, switch it over. I think if we ever do come back with a movie podcast again, we should have it be the Stop Button podcast. But, um, but yeah, when we you know. started, we were still – I still was not trying to do daily stuff, and you were still fairly regular. I mean you were posting probably as much as I was back when we started, or or if if not as much, about half as much. Like you were doing weekly at that point, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, and incidentally, I mean I'll – you know, uh, I've, I've, I've got the domain name registered for – you know, just MatthewHerwitz.com, and I am going to be moving my movie stuff, movie writings over there and trying to get serious about that again. And that's, you know, part of the reason that I'm, you know, we decided to uh, to kind of cut this thing off to devote time to other things. But, um, you know, Mommy and Daddy still love you very much. Uh, I, well, listeners. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's been, um, it's, the whole podcasting thing has changed so much from when, 
We started yeah, six it. years. I mean, Fam- famous people were, weren't really doing podcasts yeah, I six mean, years ago. You know, stand-up comics weren't doing podcasts to like movie suck. podcasts. You didn't right. have like you didn't have Doug Loves Movies or uh, you know the 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 Flop House or anything. It was like yeah, just kind of open terrain. What, what's funny is is that uh, the Mac not the Mac well the Mac Observers Mac Geekab podcast just celebrated their 500th episode. I think today. Um, this afternoon, uh, so it's we're recording this Sunday, May fourth, and it'll probably be up tomorrow. But um, they were, you know, whenever I needed technical ideas, those would be the guys that I went to. So I thought it was kind of funny that you know we're we're and they're an, an incredibly commercially successful podcast for what they are. And of course, we never really took this above the hobby level, just because. You know, yeah, it's the Alan Smithy podcast. I mean, if you if you knew anything an, about film, you'd think we were yeah. only going to talk about Alan Smithy movies. Like, it's just yeah, which would have been insane. <laughs> but <laughs> I think we I think we got like four Alan Smithy movies into the catalog over know. time. Um, on that note, should we should we start the grade? yeah? What the hell? Because I don't now, know how long this is going to take. I think we should go backwards. You think so? Okay. I think we should go backwards because I don't I, – I, I know where we would end if we go backwards, and I don't want to end with Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park in Detroit. Well, I really don't want to end with Detroit Rock City. So. All right. Well, we, we just talked about that yeah. in the last episode. But so, um, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, uh, it's really cheesy, and it's not even so bad. It's funny. Right. You There's just probably skip that. In it. Skip it. Detroit Rock City. Hey, it ties into this one because there's like weird um, sexism in it, uh, and and a little bit of racism too. Yeah, a little bit of, of anti oh. anti disco Guido prejudice. Yeah, and uh, the only good thing that'll come out of that is is that uh, if you haven't listened to that episode. Uh, I, I cut in some quotes from role models that I've been sharing with people, and they've really enjoyed the uh, the breaking down of Kiss's music. But anyway, yeah, and, um, Man, Manhunter Red Dragon. Dragon. Uh, this one was for Philip, really. It um, was for Philip, our number our number one fan. Hi, Philip. Because um, yeah, we had just been thinking about it forever. Good pair of uh, movies to put together. Two adaptations of Thomas Harris's Red Dragon. I forgot. Uh, well, I never really realized that Manhunter was as good a movie as it was, and Red yeah. Dragon was uh, even lamer than I remembered when I saw it, like as a teenager. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Let, let's let's do a little bit of commentary on um, if it it was something that we hadn't seen before. A little bit of appreciation, for example. The Fly and The Fly 2, I'd never seen The Fly, and um, while I have my issues with how it goes narratively, you know, Cronenberg is a fantastic filmmaker, and you can really see that in The Fly, and, you know, this podcast, since since Matt does a lot of horror, and I think that was one of the, that was one of the really cool things about this podcast that I don't think you can really easily describe is that you, at least when we started, were sort of coming in from more of a horror angle. Yeah, I was coming in from the typical internet film critic, but fan of exploitation movies. Right, and I I didn't really have that, and so I was coming from it with some quirks, but mostly from like a very, you know... Well, you've always always been the classy one. I, 
are okay, except with for your, my Jaws three review that I yeah, I except except on. that you gave two and a half stars to Jaws three D recently. Okay, but, but so it it really let me it really helped me um, branch out into things that I didn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily have branched out into before, and then we'll get to that with Texas Chainsaw. But yeah, so the Fly Fly two Fly two is a piece of shit. Skip that. Um, but the Fly is awesome. Yeah. Arthur and Arthur 2 on the rocks. Okay, so, like, here's something that was from your um, pool of knowledge that I, like, you know, made myself get around to through this podcast was seeing Arthur, which, uh, you know, was a big hit back in the day, but is kind of forgotten now and shouldn't be because it holds up really well and it's really funny. And um, it's a movie from a a classier era of uh, filmmaking. Yeah. and like a an era of you know funny comedies for adults it's kind of you know like from the woody allen um golden woody allen type of inspired golden age of comedies for grown-ups yeah and nothing that matt just said about that applies to arthur two on the rocks uh right which is as you pointed out from the era of warner brothers being like hey we got a million police academy sequels let's make sequels to some other comedies we own the rights to um okay so before that, we talked about Island of Lost Souls and Dr. Moreau. You just put up your uh, Island of Lost Souls. I did. Writ- I just put it written, up today. Written review on the stop button. And um, Island of Dr. Moreau, the one, the John Frankenheimer one, it wasn't as bad as, like, I thought it was going to be, but it's pretty dang lame. And, yeah. um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Marlon um, Brando <laughs> wearing pancake makeup. What can you say? Um Invisible, and then the Invisible Man. Men. Yes, we did Invisible Man, uh, and then Memoirs of Invisible Man. Yeah, which I guess and is at this point, it's the last John Carpenter for an Alan Smithy podcast, and we've been doing this for so long. We were hoping he'd start making movies again, um, and that was a cool yeah. one because Invisible Man is sort of forgotten, and it's really yeah, awesome. It's- yeah. Even even by the uh, classic monster movie crowd, um, because it's not you know Invisible Man isn't exactly a monster, is he? I mean, you know, it's more like a science fiction movie, but the science fiction isn't played that heavily into it. But like, it's got this fantastic concept behind it. But as your you know, you put up the written review for this also <laughs> yeah, just okay. just recently. It's mostly just an amazing you know character study of this guy who's going mad because of this fantastic uh, thing that's happening to him and um memoirs of an invisible man yeah it's really lame but i have a feeling the novel on which it's based is probably pretty good because it yeah. must have been pretty it must have been pretty good for like it to have been such a high profile movie at the time yeah and then of course oh beware the blob and and before and, and the blob not remake from 1988 but um yeah, the kitten, the cute kitten at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> the, say the cute kitten. There I'm you still, go. I'm still, I'm still whistling the theme to uh, "Beware of the Blob" um, to this day. So I'll, I'll, I'll got to give it that. Otherwise, it's you know just really terrible dreck. Um, and the Blob '88 is uh, I can't recommend that one, unfortunately, because uh, even though it's got great gross special effects, that's kind of all it has going for it. And um, then we oh, here's one yeah here's one that I'm very glad we did um, we did Donnie Darko and S Darko and it, it gave me a chance to reexamine Donnie Darko which I had only ever seen the uh, directors it, the very extended director's cut which includes a bunch of uh, 
I, I suppose probably CGI'd in title cards, um, doing weird things with the narrative, with the. Yeah, and I still haven't yeah. seen the director's cut to this day. We watched the theatrical cut, yeah. and I've always, I've always really liked the theatrical cut, and um, that's the only version of it for me as far as I know. I kind of don't want to see the director's cut and have it ruined for me, and I still really like this movie, and yeah. it's you know it means a lot to a lot of people, I think, for a reason. It's actually like a very kind of touching coming-of-age story with all these uh, you know Philip K. Dickian sci-fi uh, overtones to it. And then S. Darko was like a movie you can – hardly believe that exists like what they made a direct-to-video sequel to donnie darko about his sister and uh it was it was kind of just as bad as i was hoping for like as a you know just a lame copy of donnie darko and being like oh donnie darko had a 80s movie 80s soundtrack so donna you know S. Darko is going to have a 90s movie soundtrack to it and so on and so forth. It would have been so much better if she, at some point they had called her Stephanie and she'd be like, call me Donna. Call me well, Donna. the reason I called it Donna just now is because when I was in high school, we, my friends and I made a parody trailer for the corny sequel to Donnie Darko where it's like a she's all that type of teen movie. <laughs> Which would have and, actually uh, been awesome compared to S. Darko. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so um, Repo Man and Repo Chick. Yeah. Repo, Repo Man's a movie that's real, been real close to my heart for a long time. And um, Repo that, was one of those epi- that was one of those episodes where we just talked about how great the movie is, like pretty much breathlessly, nonstop. Yeah, and Repo Man, it was another one that gave me another chance to go back and see it because I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I don't think I'd ever seen it widescreen before. And yeah. yeah. And then Repo, Repo Chick, Chick is this weird, like shot entirely in front of a – Green screen green type screen movie. cheap type thing, but it's like it was pretty cool. And it's Alex. Yeah. And it's Alex. It's Cox, still Alex so gotta, Cox. Yeah. So you got to pay attention. You got to give it a. You got to give it a shot. But you, you kind of would have. I think I would have been warmer to it if they hadn't called it Repo Chick and they yeah. just let it be its own thing a bit more. Um, okay, we did a commentary on Return of the Living yeah. Dead, it was, yep. and it wasn't even the first fucking time we talked about Return of the <laughs> Living Dead. It was a return to the Return podcast. of Living Dead, which yeah, and yeah. the reason is, and the reason is that it's my favorite movie I've decided <laughs> in recent years. Um, period. And so that's just one where it's just 90 minutes of me gabbing nonstop about how awesome it is. And um, uh, Matt Lore, the guy who helped uh, posthumously pu- complete and publish uh, Dan O'Bannon's book on screenwriting, was like nice enough to link that on on his uh, Facebook recently. So I know oh, he's cool. heard wow. some of it. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know that was and uh, he he and his wife Diane or. Dan O'Bannon's wife Diane like gave me an advanced copy of of that book to review for Cinema Machine because I got to meet them somewhere. So that was kind of how that came about. Um, so that that one's worth watch or yeah. worth listening to. Um, Caddyshack and Caddyshack yeah. Two. You know, Caddyshack is a uh, classic comedy and, and um, Caddyshack Two is close to my close to my heart, quite unfortunately. And so right. I finally made you sit through that, which was interesting. Um, to go yeah, back to that again after you know so many years, um, yeah, yeah. Dread, dread, Judge, the, Judge the dread dreads. episode. Yeah, this is um, like I had just, I think I was watching. I think I saw Judge Dread for the first time for that episode, <sighs> and I had just seen Dread, and um, you know the highest praise that I don't know if I said this in the episode itself, but 
the highest praise I can give Dread as a comic book movie is that it's a comic book movie that got me into the comic books, which yes. should should be like the aim of any comic book movie. Uh, yeah, as like a, a, a gateway to everything that you know that it was based upon. And Dread's great. The internet doesn't need to be told that at this point. Right. Um, and Judge Dread is uh, really awful. <laughs> Dread is actually, do? even though, like you said, yeah. I mean, the internet has what. I I don't know if you you read, but Carl Urban was somewhere, and he's like, actually Alex Garland's writing the script just in case for Dread Two. Yeah, he's like cut just to in a case. bunch of cut to a bunch of internet nerds jacking off, and exactly. then cut to, but, and then cut to the and then cut to the producer of the of Dread going like, look, we're nowhere, it's nowhere near even beginning to start <laughs> happening, so relax. Start start sending me cash, but Dread is is right now the one movie that it's like. If I have guests and I'm like, hey, have you seen Dread? Let's put Dread <laughs> on because, you know, you need to see this. And then yeah. uh, before that, we did uh, The Last Temptation of Christ and the Passover plot, which uh, – yeah, Which was just one of our really clever concept episodes because we had it like come out around Passover slash Easter. And, you know, it's about the death of Christ and the resurrection and how – and the Passover plot was this obscure TV movie about how the resurrection might have been faked and uh it's shocking know, that interesting. put us on the map you know like really. oh right yeah you know the religious community um <laughs> last temptation last temptation was like better than i remember that's a really yeah. cool movie and very controversial in its day kind of forgotten now but worth going back to and checking out if yeah. you're so inclined um, um red planet mission to mars um, well we did discover mission to mars has a lot of good things in it that is true we yeah, Mission to Mars is kind of like one that you're expecting to be bad, and then it's like just kind of mediocre. Red Planet, though, was something oh, I was expecting to be to be something I was expecting to be mediocre, and it just turned yeah. out to be really, really bad. And I saw, I saw, I, I told this anecdote in the episode, but Red Planet losing money on that is what drove me from the Hollywood Stock Exchange, HSX.com, I believe, which is still there. Too, which is is frightening to me that this still exists, and it would make Joe Esterhouse happy. Yeah. That oh, and we were almost gonna combine all. Oh yeah, stuff, remember you know, that we were gonna do yeah Red invaders Planet. because because the, before that we did invaders from Mars, yeah. the original from the fifties, and then the Toby Hooper Canon Films we remake. We did we we did do two episodes in one month with that. Yeah, we actually oh yeah did, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was yeah. March. It was March Madness, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. But we were actually yeah. gonna do three. We were going to do uh, – Oh, and then we were also going to do, what, Devil Woman from Mars or something? Uh, One or Robinson two other kind of – Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Yeah, Robinson yeah. Crusoe on Mars. But, yeah. yeah, Invaders from Mars and Invaders from Mars, those are pretty cool. And, I mean, this so, is, yeah. This is the kind of thing where I think in the future when we go back and cut up the audio all over again and, like, put together some best-of specials, that can all be one collective episode, just one super long discussion of Mars movies. Um and uh, oh, this was a good one. Before before that, yeah, we we were we got pretty good at you know combining movies for themes, like when we actually put our minds to it. Because yeah. we did um, Saint Valentine's Day Massacre, um, this you know movie that Roger Corman did for 20th Century Fox in the late 60s, which is really cool. And it was a bomb then; it's forgotten now, but it's like got a great cast and a good script and everything. And um, and then we followed it up with Some Like It Hot because it's loose. The the beginning of Some Like It Hot kind of is loosely inspired by the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, you've got these two musicians on the run who are at this, you know, shooting, which is supposed to be like 
I don't think they ever mention it by name, but it's the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Anyway, so that's just kind of an excuse for me to get you to see St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Which it's was cool awesome. Movie. Because, yeah, it was, at, it was at my, when I was rediscovering Corman. Because the episode before that was Little Shop of Horrors and Please Don't Eat My Mother, which you'd been trying to, to get us yeah. to watch forever. Right. Well, Little Shop of Horrors, you know. Not, not I, that one. Yeah, that one. That yeah. one Little Shop yeah. of Horrors I love. I love the 80s musical, and I love the original one. And um, Please Don't Eat My Mother, I just needed an excuse to see. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I know there, there's a pornographic 70s parody of, uh, you know, Little Shop of Horrors. How can I, you know, how can I justify taking the time to watch that to myself? And it was kind of like just as bad as I was hoping it would be and really sleazy and everything. Um, so before that, uh, we did Fletch and Fletch Lives. Pretty simple, you yeah. know, a movie and its sequel kind of episode. And I, I talk a lot at length, I think, in that episode with my, like, high school fascination with Fletch and how how hyped I was for the idea that Kevin Smith was going to reboot it and that that never happened. And then Fletch Lives was, like, a good opportunity to talk about that bad Warner Brothers comedy sequel syndrome. Of the and, late uh, 80s, yeah. And then before that, we did uh, another Carpenter. We did Halloween, but we did the extended TV cut so I could bitch and moan about the added scenes. Right. And then, and then uh, the, day the day after, after Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not the original title of this bad movie called <laughs> This bad Snapshot, Australian movie, yeah. Which is, which is supposed to be like a, an erotic thriller, and it's not erotic, and it's not thrilling, and there's like one murder, and it happens in the last ten minutes of the movie or something, and you, you would never confuse it with a sequel to – so that, that was disappointing because I was expecting like an unofficial kind of – you know, a, a, a fake cash-in sequel to Halloween, and it wasn't. Oh. Um so speaking of different edits of things, prior to that we had uh, Godzilla, Godzilla King, King of Monsters, Monsters, which is which is the Americanized version with all the Raymond Burr scenes cut in, and I wasn't expecting them to be as badly cut in as they are. It's a real if you're an, an aspiring editor, it's a good lesson in what like how not to do it, <laughs> what not to do because it's very awkward the way Raymond Burr is cut into this Japanese movie, um, and then Godzilla uh, the ninety eight was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. ninety eight. Um, Which was where I'd never seen. It was worse than I was expecting. So yeah. that was painful. Um, um, before that, speaking, oh, of, speaking of painful. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of even worse than I was expecting, well, Blues Brothers 2000, and we watched Blues Brothers also. And yeah, Blues Brothers 2000 is abysmal, and you know, I think everybody knows that. But um, Blues Brothers, I like that episode because I got to talk about how overrated I think that movie is. Yeah. And, uh, kind um, of Kind of just dump on John Landis's disregard for human life a little bit again because we do that a lot actually. I mean, even though I don't, I wouldn't say either of us really like John Landis. I think he's shown up on here quite a bit. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, prior to that, we had uh, Barbarella and Galaxina, oh. and Barbarella is really bad, and Galaxina was like bad, but not in the way that I was expecting it to be. I was expecting it to be much more of like a softcore porn flick. Um, friggin' uh, what's-her-face, you know, Galaxina doesn't get naked once in the whole movie. It's kind of baffling. And, and in uh, Barbarella, that's how it opens. So you would think yeah. that if you were going to do, yeah. Uh, I imagine and, and, there were uh, a lot of angry people in the theater at Galaxina. And missed, and Dorothy Van Stratton was her name, right? Yeah. And we realized, uh, yeah. realized we realized that we missed the chance to have a better themed episode by doing Galaxina and Star Eighty, which yeah. is the that's loose based around yeah. her real life murder. Um, 
Okay, uh, prior to that, we had I Married a Witch, which was... Yeah. Yeah, I Married a Witch was, like, better than I was hoping it would be. It's Veronica Lake, and um, Bewitched was worse than I was expecting. Um, I I remember uh, that one because you wanted to to do a rant on Will Ferrell... Oh yeah, that, was, that episode gave that episode gave me an excuse to talk about. But you didn't life. get to really do it though, because he doesn't do that in that movie. Oh yeah, he's not playing his usual, you know, pompous uh, idiot character in Bewitched. He's like more the straight man. So yeah, yeah. I married okay. it, 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 at least we watched I Married a Witch. Right. That's a great movie. Oh, and uh, Criterion re-released it recently, which is I cool. I saw that. Yeah. Um, okay, prior to that, we had uh, the original Brian De Palma Carrie, which was awesome. Yep, and, and the, uh, Rage. the Rage Carrie too, which Not was awesome. super lame in a very '90s way, <laughs> very late '90s kind of way. But uh, it's probably better than the uh, Carrie remake that just came out recently. Or right. you know, yeah, I think at least it, it's its lameness was more interesting than the uh, recent Carrie remake with Hit Girl. Um, Prior to that, uh, we did a commentary. See, we kind of dabbled with the idea of doing commentaries occasionally. Um, we did a commentary on Supergirl, which is, apparently is one of our more downloaded episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because so, I don't – yeah, I mean – Because Supergirl fans are just starving out there for any kind of attention. <laughs> any kind of recognition that this movie existed. So, yeah, and I remember we had this long talk about it because I desperately wanted to do a commentary on what was it, the theatrical version, but we had to go with the most readily available one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one was interesting. I, I, We sort of, between the commentaries, we sort of went between totally absurd things to do commentaries of and then, you know, the expected thing to do commentaries of. So, in some ways, yeah. Supergirl... Is kind of in between. It's not the craziest commentary we did, but it's also not the most. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so prior to that, we had uh, Real Genius, which is um, – I don't know if it's cult – I don't know. It it, uh, it doesn't really matter like how much people remember it or not because it wasn't a hit in its day. But it found its cult audience, yeah. and maybe its cult audience has kind of wavered a little bit. But whatever, people will always – you know, it will always be around for people to discover. It's a it's a funny little movie. And uh, My Science Project is just a total obscurity, which, um, you know, between uh, that and I think Super Mario Brothers, the movie, which I rewatched recently with the uh, Riff Tracks commentary, which was very funny um, – I mean, it really made me realize how m- much I disliked uh, Fisher Stevens. Oh, also, <laughs> Fisher-, Fisher Stevens also plays a really unfunny Indian scientist character in Short Circuit 1 and 2, I think. So, yeah, yeah f- f- my science project, uh, my hatred of Fisher Stevens is my title for my science project. Um, prior to that, commentary on Mannequin 2 on the move. And that was fun because that's yeah. just, you know, speaking of riff tracks, speaking of like mystery science theater, I mean – it's so like it's so easy to make fun of. Right, that it, movie. what an absurd thing to do a commentary of, and I think that's what we were going yeah. for with that one. But then, um, before that, speaking of absurd, we actually watched the Man Who Knew Too Little, which is coming out on yeah. Blu-ray, which is frightening. Yeah, Bill Murray's The Man Who Knew Too Little. This was from the. Um, the last gasp of Bill Murray trying to do wacky comedy roles before Wes Anderson made him an indie indie darling, <laughs> um, and the man you need too much, which is just a good solid solid uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie. Yeah, and we didn't and actually do that, that much Hitchcock. 
if you think about it, be, just because, you know, it wasn't quirky enough. Well, well what would yeah. have been the point, really? Right, um, exactly. Prior to that, speaking of quirky, oh, you made we me had watch a... Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two. Yeah, made you watch. You should be thanking me for Garbage Day. I think and... actually YouTube might have taken down our clips of Garbage our Garbage Day commentary oh. finally, but yeah, and, that was uh, a fun Red... one. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great so bad it's hilarious movie that has you know found its audience now because of. Pretty much because of that isolated clip of the guy going garbage day. And, uh, <laughs> you know, people then saw the movie and they were like, wow, the whole rest of the movie is just as insanely stupid as that moment. <laughs> this is great. And, oh, and also it's like a greatest hits compilation of uh, clips from Silent Night, Deadly Night. So it's like two movies in one. Um, prior to that, uh, speaking of sequels, we did Poltergeist and Poltergeist 2. Yep. and. I think we probably spent most of our time talking about, you know, well, how can you tell if it's Toby Hooper or Steven Spielberg directing this? And <laughs> Poltergeist, and with Poltergeist Two, is just kind of an, an anatomy of of a bad sequel type of discussion because it's like, yeah, obviously it's like obviously something that uh, was very easy to make a sequel to, but that doesn't mean you should. And uh, whatever you got some. H.R. Geeker designed tequila worm monsters to keep you happy. So whatever. Um, Muppet oh, movies. Just, oh, as far as yeah, as far as the chronology of of these episodes, by the way, I mean, from about the time that we started doing like thoughtfully paired together movies, you know, which was like now, which is around around this time, I should say, we were churning out. Um, well, right about now we're getting to the point where I think we were committed to doing like two episodes a month or at least yeah. like, you know, every other week. But um, from Man Who Knew Too Much uh, and Too Little on to now, we kept it to one per month, which so it kind of like kind of like slowed down to a crawl over time. But yeah, Muppets. Well, uh, Poltergeist and Poltergeist 2 and Silent Night, Deadly Night both came out in December of 2011. Silent but, Night, Deadly Night 2 yeah. obviously being a Christmas special of sorts. Muppet movie, uh, yeah, we all the Muppets we also did in December of 2011. So we got three episodes out that month. Um, and Muppet movie was just, you know, it's a great movie. What can you say? Um, Muppets from Space is like, you know, whatever. But um, I don't know. It's probably got a little more zip to it than uh, Muppets Most Wanted, which like the title alone kind yeah. of makes me not not want to see it ever, regardless of it being a Muppets film. Um, Ooh, prior to that. Cool World had, uh, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which yeah, led me to rediscover sorry. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Bob Hoskins did just die. Um, right. But then cool, cool World, which sucks even worse than I remembered it. Yeah. Yeah, which is really bad, but at least it's like an interesting kind of bad because it was a, it's a high-concept bad. <laughs> it's a high-concept studio bad movie where it's like, let's get the director of Fritz the Cat to direct a adult adult version of who framed roger rabbit but oh wait we don't actually have the balls to make an adult version of who framed roger rabbit let's keep it pg-13 out there ralph so that's you know that was a good episode it was good stuff to talk about um oh yeah here comes the uh a west episode the may west episode we watched She Done Him Wrong, which is, you know, not a great movie and you were much more down on it than I was (laughs) even prepared to be um Incidentally, I, I recently read a play, no, a couple of plays by Mae West that she wrote back when she was like, you know, 
this saucy lass of Broadway before she got a movie contract. And like, they're very, you know, they're incredibly risque as you might imagine, but, you know, also kind of smart and funny and everything. And, uh, I mean, she was a real talent. Um, she done him wrong is not her best work, but, um, sextet is definitely not her best work. (laughs) That's, but I, I can't help but like sextet a little bit just because it's such a prime slice of 70s disaster where it's just like, you know, there's nothing here. This movie shouldn't have been made. Let's just cram it with cameos. <laughs> it's got that Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band kind of vibe to it, the one with the Bee Gees. Yeah. Um, as so, far as being a train wreck. Another thing we should mention is that at some point before we we decided on thematic pairings or sequels or anything like that it was supposed to be one good movie one bad movie oh uh, that's right yeah and I that forgot. yeah <laughs> so i think i think this is, some, this is yeah this looks like it might have been our last good movie bad movie yeah. pairing right yeah well or, I th- no i guess i guess roger rabbit and cool no even muppets from space you know what i guess what was it um when did we really change it up here? I mean, um, okay, so the Blues Brothers, the Blues Brothers 2000, we knew they both were going to be shit. I guess uh, we always tried to keep it to one good movie, one bad movie, but we then we put more effort into pairing them yeah. together in ways that made, that made sense. Right, Ex- yeah. So, um... Sometimes yeah, the gulf was wider than not. Um, yeah. You know, in the previous episode, it was pretty wide because we did Black Book, um, speaking of Paul Verhoeven. And Blood Rain, the Third Reich, both of which have nothing in common except that they're set in Nazi Germany. And, um, yeah, uh, I don't know what to say. It's pretty self-evident. One's a great movie. <laughs> the other's uh, a Blood Rain sequel. <laughs> Um, uh, that we had, uh, you know, we met, I mentioned like you know fake sequels earlier that we we watched Alien, just the original classic Alien, and then uh, a cheesy Italian cash in sequel called Alien Two on Earth, which I really might have to go with as the worst movie we've ever watched on this because it's just it's just boring. It's just not even bad enough to be funny. It's just nothing happens in Alien Two on Earth. And yeah. I thought it would, I thought it'd be better than that because some little startup, you know, exploitation re-releasing video company put it out on Blu-ray, and I thought, oh, there must be something there, but there really wasn't. Um, prior and to that, we had a yeah, we had a Tim Burton episode. We had Mars Attacks, yeah, good, and we had Sleepy Hollow. A good Hollow. opportunity, <laughs> a great, a perfect uh, opportunity to talk about what went wrong with Tim Burton's career because I think we both agree that Mars Attacks was his last great movie and sleepy hollow was the beginning of the end so that's a good episode just to watch you know for a lot of commentary on tim burton and the trajectory of his career and another episode to listen to if you want to hear us uh, rag on john landis was the one we did before that uh where we just talked about twilight's on the movie and there wasn't a second movie because we just figured yeah, you know, we've got four segments here, four different directors. And we probably spent half the episode talking about John Landis killing people. Uh, yeah, because... talking, well, I think I wanted to do that one because I had just read uh, Outrageous Conduct, um, which was a book about the Twilight Zone case, which is really good. Um, so that was a good one. Before that, uh, we did Revenge, Revenge of the, the Nerds, 1 yeah. and 2. 
Revenge of the Nerds, uh, you know, it's like the Caddyshack episode, you know, classic comedy followed up by a, a bad cash-in sequel. Although, unlike Caddyshack 2, I think you pretty much hated Revenge of the Nerds 2 as much as I did. And, and it's uh, also kind of a different, just to, just to go on a teeny tangent, it's a different thing because we did a lot of those Warner Brothers sequels, I think, unintentionally but the caddy the revenge of the nerd sequel is almost more like the porky's sequels like just a very strange you know thing that we we discovered here doing alan smithy was that the way different studios try to exploit their brands is very different um but before that yeah oh god all right we did breathless (laughs) And then we did Breathless. We did the Godard, and then we did the remake. And oh god, yeah. the remake, which I'm sure you know, five people oh. out there know, know even exists. But in 1983, there was a remake of Breathless with Richard Gere, and it's pretty dang lame. And um, then we had uh, Escape from New York. That was another Breathless praise kind of episode, followed by um, 2019 after the fall of New York, which unlike uh, Alien Two on Earth is a Italian ripoff sequel that's actually enjoyable to watch because it's not boring. It's, like, really silly and wacky and is close enough in resemblance to what it's ripping off that it's, that you can kind of enjoy what a ripoff it is. Um, prior to that, we did. I guess we did a lot of comedies and they're, you know, poorly we did regarded a lot of comedy, comedies, yeah. comedy, comedy sequels because we did Airplane and Airplane 2. And that was interesting because Airplane 2 isn't awful. It's just kind of mediocre. Right. So it's it was, like, a good comparison piece um i love i love that before that we <laughs> and i i'm just gonna pat myself on the back here this was our 1980 king features syndicate yes. episode yes. <laughs> between be- between uh flash gordon and popeye those were both uh comic strip movies based on uh well properties owned by king features syndicate and um that was I the first pretty- time i saw popeye yeah and uh yeah and I'm a I'm a proponent of that one, if only because it's not a great movie, but it, I feel like it gets shat on more than it deserves to. Whereas, I mean, it's Rob, it's Robert Altman doing a musical, you know, right. if nothing else. And it's and Flash Gordon. So we did this one in December. Yeah, we did it in December of 2010. So that's before Ted. So it's kind of be. I don't know if Ted actually led to people thinking that Flash Gordon was okay. I think people uh, always re- remember Flash Gordon as being better than it is right. because because of the Queen music, right? And, the- and we <laughs> talk about that at length. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I I don't think t- Flash Gordon's. I oh, and then when we did that one, was that right after it came out with that classy Alex Ross re-release cover? And it's I just like so, yeah. it's just a piece of crap. Like, come on, <laughs> knock it off. Yeah, not if, well, not, if, not if you were like six-year-old Alex Ross in 1980. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Six is a little old for that. I was, I think I was probably four the first time I saw it, and it's been convincing me for years that it's okay. So I don't know. Yeah. Six, I'd hope I was in better shape. But then before that, we did an American Werewolf in London and an American yeah, Werewolf. The, in- the start of the uh, John Landis obsession, I guess, and. I, um, but that I was think... an interesting one for us because neither of us are huge um, Rick Baker fans. So here we take um, right. It gave us an excuse. <laughs> it gave us an excuse to, to talk about the howling. Yeah, to say that the howl the howling makeup was better or whatever. Rob Botin, second time this episode. Okay, right. an American Werewolf in Paris, which is a 
astoundingly um, poorly executed uh, sequel. Quasi, not really uh, sequel. With terrible but, CGI that you think yeah, would... Yeah, really bad yeah. 90s CGI, sure. Um, so then, yeah... Speaking then we, of bad sequels, prior to that, I, you know, and speaking of horror, I got you to see... You finally got me to see... I okay, had, yeah, you hadn't seen... I hadn't seen Texas Chainsaw, yeah. So te- you finally got me to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I said it in the episode, and I'll say it again. I watched it in the middle of the... Like, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a sunny day, and it still creeped the livid <laughs> fuck out of me like it did the first yeah. time I tried watching it. And then Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which... Better known as uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Better known as the one with Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. I, I don't know. Should we watch Dazed and Confused instead? Because, uh, yeah. Well I, I, well, I feel like Vilmer was largely the inspiration for Rust Cole. And if you like to think of, you know, True Detective as a prequel to um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Next Generation, I can, you know, I, I've, written a, I've written a fanfic, which actually... Uh, bridges the gap between the two continuities anyways um okay so that was but that episode was the beginning of actually actually pairing it was because because, prior to that we've got this what the fuck of please teach me english this is when we were getting into south korean movies um yeah when we had been for a while please teach me english which is a decent south korean comedy and uh zardoz Zardoz, yeah and um Zardoz, man, and I, yeah, I, I don't think I, I hadn't seen it before, and I got to admit, I kind of liked it. It's it's sort of become a guilty pleasure for me. Not that I've rewatched it since then, but I do sort of remember it fondly for being as you know weird as it is. I admire any movie that you know has the courage of its own weirdness, and Zardoz really does in spades. Yeah, um, and then before Sweet that, Bird of Youth, yeah, Sweet Bird of Youth, a, um, bats, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of hoping Sweet Bird of Youth would be better than it would be because it's based on a Tennessee or was written by Tennessee Williams, but it wasn't very good. And then uh, Bats is really uh, awful. I barely remember anything about it. Really, that it's really, really forgettable. Really yeah, really forgettably doesn't really do it as a killer animal movie. Um, and then, but, um, oh yeah, Far Cry and Conduct Zero. And yeah, uh, Far Cry is a Uwe Boll movie, and I can s- barely remember what it's about. It's some island where genetic super soldiers are being created or something. With Till Zwigger, the German guy. But for a while, yeah. um, there's a terrible pop song in it, and I think for like at least two episodes, I, I, I tried mixing <laughs> that in as our theme music. Um, uh, yeah. Before I went over to the the music from each individual thing, uh, movie, which I think became easier once we started doing stuff. I'll, like I'll take this opportunity to pat you on the back for doing the editing on all these episodes, because uh, yeah, I've, I, you made it easier for me not having to think about that. And yeah, but you, you had to write the. To- you had to write all. You wrote rather oh, lengthy yeah. things. Yeah. You know, this is a, this is another this is another thing though, where it's like I knew that um, I knew that this thing was on its way out because I really did write fairly lengthy um, descriptions of the movies for all the uh, postings on our website. But I right around the time where we started doing one episode of, uh, a month, starting in like you know 2013. Um, I just couldn't, I didn't have it in me anymore. I think I probably, when did I really stop doing that? Maybe it wasn't like a whole, you know, all the way back in the beginning of 2013, but I think it was right around the time of Island of Lost Souls, Dr. Moreau. 
So really, we're talking about just the last like five or six yeah. episodes or so. Invisible Man, Memoirs of Invisible Man, might have been the last time I put any effort at all into uh, doing the write up. I, I can see why that would depress you. But another thing with the <laughs> editing is is, and and I guess we can tell everybody now. Yeah, our Skype connection sucks. So after 30 minutes, it, it cuts us out, and we have to figure it out. We have to go back and. Yeah, mm-hmm, so if mm-hmm. you're ever listening and going, hey, that's kind of disjointed or something sounds differently, yeah, it's because Skype cuts out and we've never been able to figure it out in four years of or six years of having the problem. But yeah. it used to be worse, actually. Do you remember, um, yeah. Do you remember anything about Conduct Zero, the other rep movie in the Far Cry oh, episode? Because I really don't. Conduct Zero, wasn't that the one? I feel like South, was, I think was it's that South the one you seen? And it, yeah, 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 you'd already seen this one because you'd gotten a bunch of Korean movies. It was the school one with kind of like the bully and the girl, the best fighter at Mondok High. I actually remember, yeah, I mean, I kind of remember it. He, he, and there's a girl, but it's like, it's sort of like a coming of age thing, but not like forced at all. Yeah, yeah, you actually rem- you actually recommended this. We actually I'm looking did at the this I'm looking at the you. poster yeah. now, and I do remember it, but yeah. whatever. Um, I mean, <laughs> I remember I remember now that it was good, but I just don't remember anything about it. Oh, and um, then, okay, yeah. We had a we had a fucking piranha kick. I mean, this is like another one where we can go back and cut together a whole piranha yeah. special because. Prior to this, we did Piranha, the Joe Dante original movie. We did Piranha 95, which is like a made, remade for Showtime version of it, but it's so cheap because it's Roger Corman right. that they actually re- reused the Piranha footage from the original. But then, um, yeah. And we did uh, Piranha 2, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah. Okay, so prior to that, we did uh, an, an Alan, Alan Smithy, Smithy episode. episode. Yeah, episode 50. Um, or... The first. Yeah. The first, uh, the first Alan Smithy credited movie, Death of a Gunfighter, which is a, you know, decent western from like '62 with um, Richard Widmark, I think. Yeah. And um, and Birch actually... Two, which is a made-for-Showtime sequel to The Birds, uh, which was actually directed by Rick Rosenthal of uh, Halloween Two fame. Yeah. Um, Birds 2 really sucked, and Death yeah, of the Birds. Gunfighter was fine, yeah. But I mean, I yeah. think, yeah, it, tying back to the beginning of it, it'd be very interesting to see the arc of a career that started with a perfectly with decent With Death of a made, Gunfighter, and, and it ended, ended with, with the Burn Birds Hollywood too, Burn. yeah. Or, or the <laughs> no, it ended with Burn, it ended oh, with Burn Hollywood Burn, I think. No, it did. Um, and we didn't then, even mention that earlier. That was, they retired the Alan Smithy pseudonym after they uh, Burn Hollywood many, Burn. They thought too many people would know who it is, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't think so. I I think that, you know, name recognition on somebody like Ridley Scott's probably, what, like 38%? Like, if you're not Steven Spielberg or somebody else, like, nobody really actually knows your name. Like, Mm -hmm. do you know the name of the people who directed, what, uh, the guys who directed Captain America 2? Do you think we could actually... yeah, I think Alan Smithy was fine. I think they just did it because they hadn't done a theatrical Alan Smithy in many years. Um, anyway, so, but yeah. back to, uh, and then, oh, yeah, so we did Blackmail Is My Life, which was a Japanese yeah. movie you wanted to check out, and then we did Dr. Giggles. Yeah, uh, and Blackmail Is My Life is a really cool 60s mm-hmm. kind of 
poppy, peppy, but also noir, and it gets real dark at the end. Crime movie with some, you know, black humor in it. And Dr. Giggles is, well, who doesn't know Dr. Giggles, right? <laughs> I think we both talked about how we were aware of this movie because of the ads in comic books, I think, right? I, yeah. I think it had a, yeah, I think it had a huge advertising budget for some reason. Or, and, or they uh, got a really good deal from comic books. <laughs> Yeah, and the and the ads we noticed the ads in comic books as kids, and I was young enough that the ads actually scared me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then before that, we uh... oh right, well we were kind of carrying over a Larry Drake theme because we watched the Dark Man trilogy, uh, oh. in which Larry Larry Drake plays the villain Durant in all three of them, or the first two, anyways. Um, and you know that's a good special. Yeah, um, and. And the one, the only, I don't remember anything about Darkman two, but what I remember about Darkman three is that I kind of like Jeff Fahey as the bad guy. Anyways, um, Killing oh, of a Chinese Bookie yeah. and Less Than Zero preceded that. Killing of a Chinese Bookie is good, but I mean, it's it's not really my kind of movie, is what I realized. I'm not I'm not like smart enough for John Cassavetes movies, or I, I'm not in tune enough with humanity. But <laughs> um, Less Than Zero is the product of. Brad Easton Ellis, and that's a guy who's really not in tune with the humanity, or he's in tune with the worst aspects of humanity. But it, but it's a much lamer movie than uh, The Rules of Attraction or uh, American Psycho, as far as just movies about but you know eighties eighties yuppie assholes. For the one, I think this might be the only time. But for Killing of a Chinese Bookie, you watch the theatrical version, and I watched the. Oh, that's like right. Extended version, yeah. And so I'm talking about stuff, and you're like, I don't, I don't remember that. And I was like, I really wish I didn't remember it either because <laughs> mine was too long by 20 minutes. And then before that, we did the dark half and Day of the Dead. We did a Romero episode. Um, yeah, yeah. We were kind of dabbling in the themes. Yeah. So I'm looking at the list here, um, dark half was super lame, uh, and Day of the Dead's a great zombie movie, and. I mean, the only thing I can add to that now, which I'm probably repeating myself from this episode, but um, it's even better kind of if you look at it in the context of it was going to be George Romero's last zombie movie. Like that was just him putting the cap on it. Um, It's even better viewed through that lens. And it's quite good on its own merits, but it's been sort of diluted by the fact that Romero kept making zombie movies after that. But what can you do? Yeah. Um, um and and speaking of horror prior to that, I we did, oh, yeah. I'm such a fucking I'm such a fucking horror dork. Look at this shit that I managed to get you to watch. <laughs> Freddy's we watched Freddy's Dead, the final night. I don't think I would have argued about this very much because I, I, I and I said it back then is I saw this in the theater. Inexplicably, for some reason I felt the need to see the last Freddy movie in the theater when I probably hadn't seen any of the other ones, but it was just that I wow, could you, actually, got to, you got you got to put on the three D glasses. I got to end. put on the three D glasses at the end and I I assume it was just because I could get into the theater at the time. Like I was finally of that age yeah. where somehow I could, I had figured out the way to get into an R rated movie pretty easily. Yeah. And then new nightmare. And then <laughs> yeah. And there's new nightmare, which uh, as Dylan in afterlife with Archie, so rightly points out is one of the only two uh, Freddy sequels you can take seriously along with dream <laughs> warriors. Um, Okay, so prior to that, and speaking of comic books, yeah. we did Watchmen, the ultimate cut, which is, Watchmen oh, the with the dumb, with the dumb, cut. with the dumb, the worst possible cut with the dumb animated, pi- you know, uh, pirates uh, comics se- sequences spliced yeah, in. Yeah, and so I, I feel like this that episode, was a re- that was a really long episode. It was a real, and we just bitched and attacked. Yeah. And, oh, I mean, so if, yeah, yeah. 
If you ever you can... want to hear people just crap on the Watchmen, if you just just yeah. all over Zack Snyder, which is hilarious, given you know what the only the only reason to we would ever have to go back to that or update it or anything would be that at that time the before Watchmen comics hadn't come out, oh. so you know by way of comparison, I mean, and by the way, a lot of the before Watchmen comics were not bad. Some of them were really bad, but some of them were actually all right. Yeah. So it's, it's not like there aren't people out there besides Alan Moore who get Watchmen. They just weren't Zack Snyder, you know? Um, okay. So be, Dead yeah. Man and, and, and the net. So I don't know. Oh, well, they're both from 1995. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. that's why. Um, had you seen Dead Man before this? I had not, and it was really good. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I that's one of those ones I like revisiting. And then The Net, I actually saw in the theater. And so coming back to it, I don't know, what is this, 15 years later, it was it was really shitty, um, really. And it was actually surprising because I expected a better level of mainstream competence from 1995. <laughs> I remember that. Well, my favorite, thing, my, my favorite thing about The Net is that, like, in the first 20 minutes uh, – I almost called her Sandra Bernhardt. I think it's because she was in Burn Hollywood Burn. Mm. Um, Sarah, what's her face? Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock um, orders a pizza on the internet, and that was the near future. And today you can order a pizza on the internet, and you can even track its progress in real time on its way to your front door. Uh, so how awesome. What a prescient movie the net was. There, there um, you go. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Prior to that, we had uh, Black Narcissus and Cobra. Here's a real, you know, yeah, left we were, field kind of we thing. We were really going for bad movie, good movie with this one because uh, yeah. I, you've got you've got Powell and Pressburger, luckiness <laughs> and, and greatness, and, and then uh, Cobra, Stallone, which... like just the nadir of Stallone's any you know cheesy '80s action oh, movie. Shit. We did Tango and Cash too. We're going to come back to that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, but Cobra, just to compare it real quick, is more enjoyable for its badness than Tango and Cass yes, is. Yes, Cobra. Yeah, because Cobra Cobra's got of, Brigitte Nielsen. It's got. It's got. Speaking it's of got pizza, a, it's got it's Stallone got, it's cutting got inex- a pizza with a huge <laughs> knife. Um, white supremacist. What else? It's got an inexplicable cult, death cult, as the villains. Um, yeah, it's and the action sequences aren't even that bad, actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. But, and then be- um, a Batman commentary. That, I, I think was this our first attempt at a commentary? No, we I did Halloween have... too. We did Halloween too. Okay, a that's long right. Time before, but yeah, we did Batman, and I feel like we. I don't know if anybody requested this, but we felt like we kind of wanted to get around to doing a Batman commentary just because. I don't know. I guess it was, you know, because we were riding the wave of uh, hatred for our Dark Knight episode, and we were like, how can we cash in on this? How can we capitalize on That's true. That and, our, and that our most popular episode is, is our most unpopular yeah, episode. Because our, all of our shitty comments on iTunes to this day are still about either the fact that um, I apparently said I wanted to watch movies letterboxed or that we didn't like The Dark Knight, which was like episode six. But yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, is that I think if you want to look at the themes in these hundred episodes, it's that people have forgotten the importance of uh, the 1989 Batman in terms of um, how it affected mainstream uh, well, I guess three movies. three things really. Um, 
main, mainstream, uh, big mainstream franchise launching movies. Okay. Um, movies based on intellectual property that were primarily popular with nerds, kind of like the mainstreaming, the mainstreaming, mainstreaming of nerd of culture. Nerd, nerd culture, yes. And, uh, you know, to that extent, comic book movies, right. which were still not really a thing, you know, even 10 years after Superman. So that's, you know, and we, we talk about that in yeah. the commentary. It's besides just praising the movie for being really good. Um, and then before okay, that, so, yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right. The other Piranha movie we talked about. <laughs> we talked about Robert Altman's Gosford Park, and then and we paired Piranha it with 2, Piranha Two, right? Because those two go together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in one. I think in Gosford <laughs> Park, they they eat fish at some point, or probably. And of course, and we in, did this Gosford Park commentary before uh, Downton Abbey, so we really missed out on cashing in on that, which is sort of the uh, yeah the subtitle of an Alan Smithy podcast. We Missed out by probably three missing, months on everything. Miss, missing, missing the boat for for six years. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay, so speaking of sequels, um, okay, so Psycho, Psycho Two, we did yeah, Psycho Two and Psycho Ninety Eight. And you know what's funny is like we talked about Psycho Two. Um, I was like very up on it. I think because yeah. I hadn't seen it in a long time, I was giving it high praise, and I would I would still give it high praise today, but. It, uh, now that like since Shout Factory came out with the Blu-rays of that and three, I've come to realize that like Psycho Two is really a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag that I have a lot of affection for, but um, boy, is the plot absurd, and it's only really the direction and the acting and you know some of the dialogue that kind of makes it work. But the premise is so absurd. They let Norman Bates out of the asylum and they let him stay at his old house <laughs> where he committed murders. Excuse me. Um, well, okay. I, this one's also interesting because um, we never. Oh, and did you know what happened? You know what happened later on was uh, Riff Tracks did Psycho Two, and I watched their version of it, and they pointed out all the all, like how how silly it was, and I was like, oh man, Riff Tracks, you, you I, made me enjoy this movie a little less. I think Psycho Two was one of the t- that was a good Jerry Goldsmith score. I feel like at this time I was really on my yeah, my great anti- Jerry yeah. Um, yeah, but then. Obviously, this this didn't show up on the podcast, but I then watched Psycho 3, and we talked about that at length, um, which I did write up for the stop button. But this got me, you got me to see Psycho 3 based on this. And, of course, Psycho is now, what is it, Steven Soderbergh released his cutting together of the two, which I've been meaning to watch but have not gotten around to, the original and the uh, the remake. Oh, yeah, 98, yeah. 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 Yeah, and Psych- and Psycho uh, ninety eight is. I'll I'll say this, um, if it were not released wide to theaters across America, if it were only available to see in a museum, um, they had to pay an admission to see, and you could only see it in one place. Uh, the I feel like the context would be different enough that even though it sucks, you would still have like people would have some kind of admiration yeah. for it, like as a as an experimental film. As an experimental um, film, yeah, I think you really could. Uh, and that's an interesting make a, idea. Make a case for its validity, yeah. but uh, but I, as like a, as as something that for entertainment value, it sucks. Right. Yeah. There's a lack of creativity to the concept. Um that a change in venue and a really restricted one. I can see that um, 
Yeah. But so, then before that, we did another Veronica Lake. We did uh, this is this gun for hire, uh, and we paired that with Congo yeah. because apparently yeah. I wanted to punish you for something. Um, <laughs> this gun, this for, gun hire for hire is a really good. great yeah. noir movie. Yeah, and uh, Congo. This is like one of these '90s blockbusters that I just you know flat out chose to miss out on and came back to through an Alan Smithy podcast and. Yeah, it's uh, it's I, pretty bad, all right. I actually got an email but, about Congo. Um, some somebody emailed and was the the stop button and was asking me why I didn't have a post for it. And it was some guy who was like, "I really liked it as a kid, but I think it sucks now." Like, did you ever <laughs> write about this? I'm like, no, but you can listen to this episode. Like, what's <laughs> up? It's a yeah. piece of shit. Uh, okay, so Mean Streets. Uh, Good movie, Martin Scorsese. No, yep. Nothing more needs to be said about that. Showdown, Showdown Little Tokyo. Little Tokyo. We, we managed to fit a few of these, you know, really bad action, buddy action movies or just, you know, vanity role action movies into into the catalog of episodes here. And, and as far as those go, Showdown Little Tokyo isn't that bad. I remember it being sort of cheesy enough to be entertaining. There's yeah, a, there's a lot of, know, I mean... Tia, Tia, Tia Carrera's nude body double is pretty hot. You know, what, what are you going to do? There's a, there's a ton uh, of action, too. So, I mean, it's like, you know. Oh, how, right. It's not, yeah. it's, not, it's not like one of these action movies that, you know, fails to have action in it. Yeah. Um, so it was all right. Uh, before that, another really random pairing of movies. Um, the public domain noir classic, uh, The Stranger, with Orson Welles and Edward G. Robinson, where Welles is like a, a Nazi on the run and. <laughs> And and uh, Edward G. Robinson is the guy who figures him out, um, and it's good. I, I don't remember anything in particular about it. Um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike. The real reason to listen to that episode is that we I think we do a good job shitting on Jay and Silent Bob Strike yeah. back right afterwards. Um, yeah, and Kevin Smith really never got a lot of attention from us on Alan Smithy, even though no. So that was that was like our dumping on the career of, of yeah. uh, Kevin Smith episode. And then before so, that, we we actually did the RoboCop trilogy, which was I I remember we talked about it for a long time um, because it, it might have been our first trilogy. Yeah, it was our first trilogy episode and our first sort of themed episode, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, and I think I mean we started talking about RoboCop. Well, not as early as I, I guess I would have thought. Um, but RoboCop uh, has been, a, been another long time theme in this episode. Yeah. Uh, podcast's life is just the go to. You know, one of those un, un, unsullyable. You know, perfect hallmarks of uh, of geek entertainment. And then, yeah, and then the discussion of two and three, and I, I think we talk a little bit because at that time we just discovered the original like concept for three, right, with the the, the Jackie Chan version of the ninja or something. And I, I I'll yeah. take this moment now. Have you read RoboCop: The Last Stand yet? No. Okay, so I'm holding in but my. It's an, it's an ad- it's an it's an adaptation of the original Frank Miller script, right, for RoboCop two and three. Except didn't they already do that? No, it's only an adaptation of three, and that's sort of confusing to me. But um, because I, if you read the RoboCop two script adaptation, there's a lot from RoboCop three in it, and so I think they for the third one they took a lot of stuff from 
what they didn't use in 2. It's so confusing. I don't know where the line Cyborgs Eat Bullets was originally supposed to be. (laughs) But but RoboCop uh, Last Stand from from Boom Studios, and at least the first trade is out right now, even though it's got a 2 on it. It, It's also part 1. I'm very confused about this. But um, it's got art by this guy named Corkett Ozkit. I'm mispronouncing his name. He's a nice guy. I, I talked to him for a second on email once. Um, he's like a Polish kind of punk artist. And so they finally figured out how to make a good RoboCop comic. And even more than that, they finally figured out how to make RoboCop 3 good. So <laughs> check out RoboCop The Last Stand. Hopefully they'll put it out in a nice hardcover. The art's beautiful stuff, too. And then... Uh, that's that's all. Oh, I'll and say. look, well, there's one more thing you got to okay. say. Um, I think it's worth mentioning in the final wrap up here. You got an email from the director of RoboCop Three, didn't you? Oh, I did. My my claim to fame is that any yeah, Fred, Fred Decker Fred post Decker. I make gets a response mm-hmm. from him. That's probably why I've never seen Night of the Creeps because I don't want to get a response from him. I, I, guess, I, I guess it was actually like in response to your stop button review. It was in response to my response. Uh, and didn't yeah. that precipitate the, us doing a RoboCop trilogy episode? Probably. I'm a shallow, shallow person. I've, I think I, think I asked him to – I think I asked him to get interviewed by us and he, he, he turned me down and said that he didn't Shocking. want he didn't want to be a, like he didn't want to subject himself to character assassination and that was before we had read that he wanted to use the uh, Japanese android like Jackie Chan um, you know the benefit of the doubt was there yeah that might have been it yeah well, okay, so know, let's, let's move on. Um, so yeah, speaking of that, speaking of the Japanese, uh, we Hidden did Fortress. the Kira Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress before that, which is a really cool movie, yep. and uh, 2010, which, which you know, I guess later on we might have paired this with the original 2001, but it's the lame sequel, 1984 sequel to 2001, and. Um, it's mostly just boring, you know, but with some really nice uh, special effects for the space stuff. That's yeah, I feel like during this period, it was kind of like, hey, I want to see this movie. Why don't we pair it with another <laughs> right. one? And so, yeah, before exactly. that, here we go. We had uh, Return of the Living Dead paired with The Last oh, Boy yeah, Scout. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and The Last Boy Scout was written by Shane Black, right? Oh, who yeah, were, who, who was in who Burn Hollywood Burn. Burn wow, Hollywood Burn. We're just tying back Last to that. Last Boy Scouts, horrendous, and it's got a lot of that trademark, uh, you know, action screenwriter misogyny to it. Um, and Return to Living Dead, yeah, this was, you know, my there's another time for another time for breathless praise. So if, I don't know, it might be interesting to compare my breathless praise in that episode to the breathless praise in the commentary. But by the time we by the time we did the commentary episode, I had read the Dan O'Bannon screenwriting book, so I could sort of look at it from a more informed perspective on like the, the, the structure of the story and everything, how intricate it is. Um, okay. Prior to that, um, we did, we did our, one only yeah. wit, our one and only Wit Stillman movie. And, uh, I had a lot of know, trouble quite, getting you to watch that too. I remember that. I was like, really, was quite for wit. Yeah. <laughs> I was really pushing. And then we paired it with a unknown origin, which is, uh, did we actually which do is, two 
George P. Cosmatos movies? That's kind of surprising. Okay, so I'm going to make this promise now. And and four Peter Weller movies. I'm going to make this. No, wait, two, three. Wait. Make a promise. Robocop. Okay, my promise is for the website um, and at alansmithypodcast.com, I'm actually going to update it somehow. I haven't decided. I just made this up in my head that it'd be cool to see the pairings because we really did not plan on doing Cobra when we did of unknown origin, the connections between these movies are very organic. I mean, they're not premeditated at all. Um, I don't know how the hell sometimes there would be connections. I mean, we got, I think we got to the point where we were like looking for some kind of connection, like that we could only figure out by watching the two movies. And sometimes it was really a stretch and we never agreed that that was going to be something that we had to do for every episode. Yeah. But I guess we felt like we had to, <laughs> to justify it to ourselves. Um, like, uh, you know, the previous episode to that cops and Roberts <laughs> Robertson's and Barton Fink. I don't know what those two have in common. Um, nope. No. Uh, uh, yeah, that was a good one because it, 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 sort of reminded me to hate Chevy Chase more than I think I'd been doing <laughs> at the time. And that, um, yeah, the, the Coens, uh, I don't know if we ever talk about them at length. I think this is about the only Cohen movie we did, right? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we both have great regard for the Coens and it's kind of weird that it's just not something we talked about. And I think with Alan Smithy, we tried to veer away from the, standards i mean yeah i think we i think we tried to pick movies that haven't been talked about much whether be they good movies or bad movies and i think actually the episode before that's a perfect example because it was slapshot and cruising yeah and slapshot has its cult but it's a very tiny little cult and i don't know that uh, they're necessarily as online as they could be um, yeah, and it, well, it's because they're all like sports fan dads who don't use the internet much. <laughs> Slapshot's slap cult audience. The biggest crew- Slapshot fan in America right now is drinking beer in Milwaukee in, the, in a basement somewhere. Um, and the biggest and actually, cruising fan in America is uh, James uh, Franco. Well, so, the uh, biggest... <laughs> well, I mean, hell, Slapshot and Cruising, I'm not sure which one was intended to be the good movie bad movie okay well like i know cruising was supposed to be the bad one but i think i enjoyed cruising more than i enjoyed Slapshot, if only for the soundtrack which is like fucking just disco punk heaven you know um cruising bad movie great soundtrack okay yeah Um, cruising and and also worth seeing and also worth seeing just for the how the fuck did this get made oh there's another pop pop you know popular movie podcast that really started tearing it up in the six years since we started doing this. How did this get made? Exactly. Yeah. Sheeter, I think. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think I refused to listen to it because I'm like, Oh fuck that. Like we should have been doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I so we, I think a lot of, a lot of movies we watched for Helen Smithy podcast were how the fuck did this get made kind of movies. Well, the beach, like, you know, sex, yeah. like, like this or Sex Ted or The Beach, which was the previous episode. Um, the Bank which we Dick and the, the Beach. Bank yeah. Dick. yeah. So that was just, you know, appreci- w- appreciating some WC Fields and then The Beach. What the fuck? How did this get made? 
Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, hipster dream of being on a beach with just like, you know, you're not living a life like an Outback Steakhouse commercial or something. And then it gets a little bit and then and then predictably it gets a little Lord of the Flies by the end. But it was, um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was made by the guy who made um, some other stuff. <laughs> Danny uh, Boyle. It was, it was Danny, Danny Boyle. Boyle. Danny Boyle exactly. shit out his career and then had to reinvent himself. Um, right, right. Yeah, and then before that, we did The Stepfather, which I'd never seen but had um, always heard about uh, because I was familiar with Joseph Rubin. And uh, Hellraiser Bloodline, and I'll never forget this because Hellraiser Bloodline is what, number four? It's the fourth one. And yeah. I, I had to an- watch the first three. Yeah, I watched the first oh. three, yeah. I didn't realize that that got you to watch the first three, saying the fourth one for the podcast. Because I, yeah, the, um, the, your Hellraiser reviews were actually in the print collections, I remember, of uh, Stop Button, um, Stopped Buttons, four years. Yeah. Uh, 769 films and yeah um but, you can get you can get andrew's uh, movie reviews in book form people get pick up stopped buttons because Stop uh, would be the most fun one i think because it's the it's most got, ranting yeah as opposed yeah. to but I, I love when you call uh hellbound hellraiser 2 like tron and hell <laughs> it's like well, the perfect perfect I, description for why i enjoy it <laughs> i think i think with that one i was like hey do i actually need to watch hellraiser one through three to because that was our first alan smithy that was right. Alan's, yeah, right. and actually, I was like, it was actually directed by Kevin Yeager, but he went with Alan Smithy. He went with Alan Smithy, and I was like, do I actually need to watch Hellraiser one through three to understand this? And you were like, yeah, probably. So I sat down and watched all the Hellraisers. I think over like a weekend, maybe, and I was just like. Why the hell was I scared of these as a kid? Like, you know, the third one, it was like, hey, we're going to make action figures. And the first one, I was like, this is supposed to be scary. What is Clive Barker thinking? Yeah, like, part, part two is the only halfway decent one. But and, anyways. Oh, oh, oh well, God. I just saw what's speaking next. Of, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, it's the next well, speak, two. Because speaking of, uh, you know, horror sequels and such, um, we watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, the gay one. And this the, was before that. This was before the, yeah, the documentary, this, yeah. This was this was before the documentary where they uh, actually cleared up that, like, yes, some of the people who made the movie were aware of what they were doing with the homosexual subtext. Um, so I think if you go back and listen to our episode, it's pretty much – Pretty much just a what the hell were they thinking? Was this intentional kind of episode? Um, okay, trying to pick gonna, apart that subtext I'm, there. I'm going to tell an incredibly politically incorrect, uh, make an incredibly politically incorrect remark right now. Yeah, go for it, dude. I, I think Brian Singer should remake Freddy's Revenge at this point. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, and we also pa- we paired that with Night of the Demon, uh, which is a 1957 uh, Jacques Tourner sort of investigative horror movie with Dane Andrews set in the UK. It's really good shit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like a. Um... You know, it's it's like a Val Luton produced horror mm-hmm. movie, except except you actually get like money shots of a monster. Um, right. It's not just it's not just imply all implied, so it's even better. Um, prior to that, we had uh, Antonioni's Blow Up, which I'm I just can't. This is why I'm not a classy guy. I can't get into these like <sighs> s- slow, ponderous, existential. <laughs> 
'60s new wave art movies. Uh, I didn't. I didn't quite care for Blow Up. But you and, also didn't um, quite care for Harley Davidson, The Marlboro Man, did you? No, that one was no. pretty freaking awful. And um, the only the only thing I can remember about Harley Davidson and The Marlboro Man is that it's a near future movie. It is a near future movie. Yeah, and to no effect, it's Vegas. Yeah. It's in. It's like ten years in the future, and I don't know. There's, there's like some very. It's, it's not exactly Demolition Man in terms of uh, being a satirical depiction of future Los Angeles, but it makes one or two stabs at it. Yeah. Um, okay, so prior to that, we had uh, the awesome Paul Schrader movie Blue Collar with like Harvey Keitel and Richard Pryor and Yafit Koto, and that's really awesome. And uh, the Hand. not so awesome yeah, not Oliver awesome. Stone movie yeah. uh, The Hand. Which where Michael nowhere... Caine is terrorized by his severed appendage, and it's not think... as amusing as it should have been, as yeah. I recall. Yeah, well, because it because it takes itself pretty damn seriously, yeah. but and it's not quite enough of a you know technical failure to even be amusing on that level. It's mostly just really boring and forgettable, unfortunately. Um, a not so boring or unforgettable bad movie, though, that we reviewed. Uh, mm-hmm. pre- Earlier that month, and by the way, we were averaging about three episodes a month. I uh, think by, by this yeah, point, we were we initially shot for a, an episode a week, which is kind of crazy when you think about that. We were both still blogging. You were still pretty active at this point. Yeah, so, I was also I was also unemployed, <laughs> so that kind of you know changed. The yeah, game. we should have been looking at my period of unemployment to see if that affected. <laughs> How many podcasts we did, but yeah, we really. Uh, did we really? Funny how watch? that works. Yeah, it's amazing how much time you have when you don't have a job. But yeah, so we did Caligula, which I remember you had to talk me into. And then another thing about the podcast going for six years is that, well, five years when we were doing these pairings is it was sometimes a pain in the ass to find these movies. Like some of these movies, we found them on like region two DVD, which barely exists as a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I remember it was a pain in the ass to decide on a version of Caligula because at that time there'd only been like one release and it had gone out of print in a month or something. And so we, we paired that with our, the wolf, which, uh, was a Bergman that, um, yeah, which was kind of cool. It was, uh, you know, sort I of a, that one. I liked that psycho- one. It was, it was psychological, it was uh, existential was, angst movie. Yeah. And Caligula was like three fucking boring hours. And, well, I think Caligula, though, is part of that. Like, if there's a canon of bad movies that people should look to um, as, like, you know, the worst movies, Caligula's in it. Okay. So it's got some kind. It's got some kind of distinction to it. Um, and then before that, do you see what's what's here? Well, before that, you know, we watched a very different type of bad movie, which is. Sort of the bad movie that's like too hard to watch, at least for me, because oh. it's not a, it's not a bad, a bad studio movie is very different from a bad indie movie, right. and a, especially a bad indie genre movie. Like, well, the Polonia Brothers are these guys who have like churned out seemingly dozens of bad direct-to-video horror movies, but I mean, they're like, they're like high eight bad, like direct-to-video. I mean. <laughs> Like this, we're talking zero budget here, right. and um, 
it's kind of unwatchable bad magic i don't remember anything about it no and i we, think we it was about we, voodoo and we we paired it with yeah. jimbo of all things yeah yeah I didn't even remember that we'd watched two Kurosawa movies, but uh, Yojimbo's really good. Yeah. Um, and then prior to that, we uh, did our first commentary, as you recalled. Uh, it was uh, Halloween 2. Which might still be up on YouTube in eight different parts. Um, not sure how that happened, but you might be able to check that out. Um, that was mm-hmm. fun because, you know, we hadn't really done I think, any I don't john think... carpenter and so we just sort of got the crap on halloween too without much lead in yeah yeah well we had earlier but we'll we'll get to that um mm. wages of fear and talk radio mm. um talk talk radio was a good movie to make fun of because it's so like histrionic and self-righteous and dumb and i, and I still remember your comment from your friend about talk radio no oh, what was that wasn't it something like your friend got done watching it, and he turned to you, and he was like, wait, they killed him because he was a Jew? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Peter Peter Bogdasanian or something. Um, anyways, yeah, it's an Oliver Stone scripted movie. I don't I, – oh, yeah, he directed it also, but um, yeah. yeah, it ain't Wages that good. Wages of Fear uh, is good. Uh, Wages really of Fear – I noticed yeah. that you reviewed Sorcerer. I did, recently, yeah. Uh, for Stop Button, and, and apparently it wasn't that bad, huh? You know what? It's really well made in parts, and it, that makes up for the friedkinisms, I guess I'd say. Um, uh-huh. But, I mean, the really good parts are there enough to push it through, and then the, the silliness in the, the third act is, is a problem. But it's it's one of those – and we never Would really... have been a really – would have been a really obvious pairing if we had uh, cared about pairing. But we never would have done it because Sorcerer didn't come out um, original aspect ratio, which mm. that asshat on our iTunes comments. Yeah, by the way, it, it, this is this is the last episode. You know, I got in a fight about The Dark Knight from some guy who left us a shitty review on iTunes, and I know who it is. I got in a fight with the guy on Twitter that apparently was so early in Twitter that like a friend of mine came up to me and was like, dude, what did you say to that guy? And I was just like, Hey, like, I'm sorry. Like it's just a Batman movie. Sorry. But, um, I don't don't even know where we were, but yeah, let's go back before that because rooftops Uh, is a piece of shit from Robert Wise, but you finally got me to watch matinee and Joe Dante is somebody who's really underrepresented on Alan Smithy, even though we both love him to pieces. Yeah. 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 And Matt and matinee is, um, has still not gotten its due. Um, it's came out in 93 and it's a magical out Spielberging Spielberg kind of movie about like the, the wonder of childhood and specifically the wonder of being a budding, you know, monster movie fan in the, in the kind of William Castle era of monster movies. It's, it's uh, set in the Florida Keys during the Cuban Missile Crisis and John Goodman plays this lovable William Castle type exploitation movie promoter and um, it's Joe Dante doing his best you know, comedy, but he also works really well with kids, and he also does like this, you know, making fun of cheesy monster movies stuff that he does so well in other movies. And it's like, it's like all the best aspects of Joe Dante's, you know, talent in one movie. Um, 
So prior, yeah, I'm glad you finally saw that. Um, okay, prior to that, we had uh, Blood Rain Two: Deliverance. I can't believe we saw two Blood I, Rain movies. I, we watched three Uwe Boll movies for the podcast, and, yeah. I, and we always wanted to watch another one. It's really weird. Um, yeah, we watched Blood Rain Two, and I remember absolutely nothing about it whatsoever. Wait, no, it's yeah, set in the Wild West, isn't it? <gasps> oh yeah. Oh, well, thank that you for was terrible. Me. The one thing really that pops bad. out of me is that there's one there's one really tasteless scene where um, a bunch of children are held hostages with nooses around their neck, and the villain is like threatening to hang them all simultaneously. That's all I remember because I was just was just like such in such bad taste. Um, well, well, let's not forget, of course, that Uwe Boll, and and that's a flip because I actually respect him for when he killed all those kids in Postal. But anyway, all right. Okay. Uh, uh, Emperor Jones. Emperor Jones. We talked about. Yeah, we talked about that because we were checking out um, Paul Robeson. Little, uh, yeah, yeah, a little Paul Robeson obscurity. Good movie. Uh, Pre-code, I think it might be. Very interesting movie about race and from the early '30s in its own way. Um, Tango and Cash, which yeah. you mentioned earlier. Yeah, shitty buddy shit. action picks. I don't even know how this one would have figured in unless we were like, well, unless I think we, we were must on have a just Kurt Russell kick I think, for a second. I think we just figured it would be a, a you know easy enough bad movie to make right. fun of. And then we but did California Split. Yeah, I guess the two movies are both buddy comedies in their own way because yeah. California Split is like what Elliot Gould and another guy, George Siegel. Yeah, you didn't like yeah. that one that much. I remember. I really liked nah. it. it. Was Altman? I'd probably like, like it. Eh. I'd probably like it more if I went back to it now. Okay. Um, okay so prior to that, uh, we our first you know, uh, John Carpenter. Yeah, we yeah. watched Elvis, and I don't think either of us had seen it before. No. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of a treat, and um, it's Elvis. It, it's not bad at all, really. It, it I, I think it finally got a proper DVD release of some kind or Blu-ray yeah. release recently from Shout Factory, of course. And um, it's Kurt Russell in an Elvis biopic, and it's not bad. Um, and then Resurrection of Bronco Billy, the uh, Academy Award-winning short film that Carpenter directed at USC, and uh, you know that's that's not really great, but it's 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 interesting. Just you know, if you're a Carpenter fan. Um, okay, prior oh, to that, Funland. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Funland. Explain is, Funland, everyone. <laughs> uh, Funland is a lame attempt at a black comedy about a depressed, neurotic clown. Um, who gets fired from his job and uh, at a at an amusement park and um the only really interesting thing about funland is that uh, well okay number 1 it has it has it has a sequence worth watching on youtube in which he halluc- the clown hallucinates that the employees at the cafeteria are rapping about hamburgers and hot dogs if only the rest of the movie were so amusing um but the people who released this movie had such little faith in it that on the video box they made it look like a horror movie, and it's actually kind of a scary cover because it's got this really demonic-looking clown right. with, a, with a machine gun. Um, and the movie is nothing like that. And um, we paired that with uh, Asako and Ruby yeah. Shoes. Our first South Korean movie, and I think I was just in the mood to watch that again, which, um, yeah, that... That's been an interesting thing because we tried picking up on different themes through the podcast, and it's just kind of like – it's like every time we pick the wrong one. 
I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, now that we're looking back on it, we can say that. But yeah, I remember Funland. You were just like, man, I thought it'd be better. Like there was a clown with a machine gun on the cover. Like how could <laughs> exactly. that movie suck? Like what exactly. the fuck? Okay. Um, and then well, before but- that, Rage War, obviously. Oh, uh, it's it's always going to be the dungeon master to me, but <laughs> um, the dungeon. This is such a great bad movie that um, I mean, it, it got it got released on DVD recently through Shout Factory, but they put it on one of their releases where it's like that and three other uh, Charles Band produced movies. But it kind of deserves its own recognition because it's like such a such a weird put together movie. It was like eight different directors with with eight different short films and they're all stitched together through this random narrative of like a evil wizard sending this guy on a series of challenges to rescue his girlfriend. And, um, it's just kind of like a, a jam. It's like a, it's like a a Charles band empire pictures jam band session or something. Cause you've got like John Carl Beekler and, uh, Charles Band and um, um, I'm trying to think of the director of like Terror Vision. And it's like all these guys who, if you've seen those movies from that era, you might recognize them. And they're all just like making, you know, a road. It's a road warrior knockoff followed by a weird horror movie followed by a weird serial killer movie. Anyways, I'm pre- I'm going on, but the dungeon, the dungeon master, aka Rage War. What can you say? Listen to the episode, and you'll you'll, you'll hear us go on about it. It was like you know, we we were both I think pleasantly surprised by how amusingly weird it was. Um, and then they shoot horses, don't they? This is um. I don't know why I wanted to check out They Shoot Horses, I'm glad don't you they? Really, I'm really glad you did because but I'd never – What a – yeah. What, a, what an unacknowledged great movie from 1969. It's, um, it's a lot like uh, the movie version of The Day of the Locust, which came out you know almost 10 years later. Or not, not really. It came out like six years later, 75. But what it has in common with Day of the Locust is that like They Shoot Horses, don't they, is also – based on a on a novel from like the 1930s which is just about the death of the american dream or the, the how the american dream is all enmeshed in the need for fame and celebrity and it's just incredibly bleak and 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 kind of grimly hilarious and it's a great movie and what, what's um, a little distressing is is that you told me to see that uh, I believe at the time we watched They Shoot Horses, don't they? And that was now four years ago. Um, Day of the Locust, I mean. So that has been on my watch list for four years. Oh, okay. Well, but, uh, yeah. But no, yeah. Day They Shoot Horses, <laughs> don't they, is an awesome movie. And I think that that was the one that's with Michael Sarazan as the uh, the male lead and yeah, that's actually a really good episode because we were still kind of figuring things out, and we were both really excited about it. I remember. Yeah, yeah. We were just young and dumb and full of cum then. <laughs> um, Jim Jim Cotta. Speaking of full of cum, this is a movie about the pummel horse and all the exciting action sequences you can shoot around a pommel horse. Um, now you know this is on DVD now, right? Yeah, it's a canon movie, I think. Yeah, Maybe. I think it's out from uh... or Golan Globus. Uh, it's it's like, hey, let's 
let's hire an Olympic athlete and shoot an action movie around his what he won a medal for. Um, that's pretty much all there is to it. And we watched It's a Gift, so we watched two W.C. Fields yeah. uh, movies in the history of uh, an Alan Smithy podcast. And, uh, you know, it's W.C. Fields. It's awesome. What can you say? Um, prior to that, and this was the first of our uh, double feature episodes, we watched Mannequin, the first one, and Terminator 2. And I, I don't remember... There was a reason for that, and I believe it was because I was convinced that... Entertainment Weekly did like a dual review of Terminator 2 and Mannequin 2, <laughs> saying that it had something to do with like they were both video hits or something. And I and I don't think we were ever sure that I was right in my memory of a, you know, at that point, 20 or 18-year-old magazine article. Mm. Um but yeah, that was our first one. That was our reinvention. That came about four months uh, after the last episode, and that's when we decided we were going to do one good movie, one bad movie. Uh, right. Or no, because, I, is that even what we called it? Um, yeah. Because prior to that, we did three – I think each of them were two-parters, but um, they each had kind of were just – topic discussion we did one on korean we did one on south korean movies because we had both you know been watching some of them recently we did one on the uh, filmography of quentin tarantino which up to this point would have just been up until uh, death proof and we did one on john carpenter and uh i'm still fond of the title i came up with for that one first episode carpenter was a jesus get it yeah, that was cool. And these uh, these episodes are like four hours combined. I mean, I think that that Dark Knight episode was like six hours. Oh yeah, like, and somewhere in the and somewhere in yeah, there we, we did, did the Dark, Dark Knight. Knight. Yeah, yeah. Our, yeah. Just talking about our hatred of it. <laughs> For uh, it was at least three hours. <laughs> so who knows how? And what's funny is I'm looking at it right now, and um, we did it with a quote from Robert Downey Jr., who, of course, then went on to make Iron Man. <laughs> or right. had made Iron Man just previous to that. But And he was talking about why Iron Man was superior to Dark Knight? Uh, oh. Or something. Yeah, he didn't understand Dark Knight. But, of course, right. then he said he loved The Prestige, which I subsequently saw, and I fucking hate that movie. But, <laughs> yeah, we, just, we didn't really know what we were doing at the beginning. And I guess in that point, it was more like what because you don't really know. Because I'm looking at the our description for uh, episode ten, which was we're giving birth to the son of the Alan Smithy podcast, and we're going to do different things. And we didn't really do that because we, we hadn't really figured it out yet. Yeah, because it was because we, we were trying to do little topics. It was just like little stuff that we had come up with to talk about, right? As right. opposed to actual movies. And I mean, it's it, it's rough, and I think that. You can see that now with most movie podcasts discuss. Um, well, they've gotten like lasering, lasering it down to just one particular theme, you right. know, to a to a science. I mean, whatever. I kind of envy, uh, you know, how did this get made, or you know, 
stuff like that because that's a, that's just figuring out the right topic to. But I mean, here, here's what I here's what I think, or here's what I've observed. Most movie podcasts are about bad movies because it's easier to go on at length about what's wrong with a bad movie than it is to just praise a good movie for well, any spate of time. That's true, but I, I feel like take for example our Escape from New York episode. I think that was the first time that I, when I watched it for that episode, that I really um, thought about the sound in that movie and how um, the music was mixed in. And so, you know, in some ways, eh, the bad movie thing is probably better for ratings, but the good movie thing, you know. Better for us. <laughs> well, better for us, but I... The commer- well, it's not even really commercialization because I don't think these guys who are doing it now are they're not they can't sell them. They're not selling a lot of advertising from what I've heard on the movie podcasts I've heard. So it's just like uh, it's an ego boost. And yeah, it's self promotion. It's self promotion. I mean, there's some really funny ones. I, I listened to some movie podcast with. Uh, I don't know if it was Doug Love's movies or it was something, but Adam Scott and Chris Evans were on there right after uh, the Avengers came out, and it was it was Chris Evans getting drunk talking shit about the Avengers, and I mean I was like, we couldn't have done that. That's pretty cool, but I'm also not a stand-up comic who knows these people, you know. So, right, right, yeah, and I mean. The horror movie thing, with as far as podcasts go, has sort of well, yeah. Well, I just think that that's sort of it, – it was there, kind of went away for a second. Now it's back as sort of the emphasis for the um, amateur hobbyist podcast is you you find an, a horn niche and you do a podcast on it. Oh, yeah. Well, look, because, I mean, there, there, here, there's a – part. one of the reasons I wanted to do a podcast, you know, when you asked me to was um, I had been a big fan of this uh, – horror movie podcast called Dead Pit. Um, you can visit them at deadpit.com. These guys actually uh, got into the game before podcasts were a thing. And they did – it's two guys from eastern Kentucky, and they've done it – they did it really well. And they actually, like, got a lot of guests. Um, and I think they managed to get a lot of, like, real name guests, like directors and stuff, because doing podcast interviews at the time was still kind of a novelty. Right. And, and I'm talking about before we were doing Alan Smithy. I'm talking about, like, 2007, uh, 2006, around right. then is when they started. And they, they fucking churned them out, man. Um, and they did it really well. And uh, they did so many of them that they got to the point where one of them, you know, had a kid and just didn't really want to do it anymore. So now they just kind of do them occasionally, only it's with, um, you know, not the original two hosts. It's one of them and then a buddy of theirs, like, kind of filling in. And they don't get, you know, new – they don't get interviews anymore. But it kind of doesn't matter. Like, they've got this great body of work just as far as podcasting. And I don't know. I think, you know, with all the all the stuff we did, we should – go back and cut some of it together, you know, for like the best of, cause yeah. uh, you know, here and there there's stuff kind of, that'll be worth listening to down the line. Um, oh, and as far as horror podcasts go, yeah. I mean, even within the genre of the horror, you know, horror movies, I mean, there's a good, very good uh, horror website called hysteria lives. It's a British site. It's like hysteria dash lives.co.uk. 
they've got their own podcast, but you know it's entirely slasher movies. <laughs> like the, it's just it's just a it's just a web, it's just a horror website about slasher movies, just rating them and stuff and reviewing them. And they've got their own podcast of just slasher movie reviews, and they've got you know interviews with some people who have worked on slasher movies and stuff. So. Yeah, once again, we never we never found our niche, Andrew. We never found our niche. No, we never really did. I mean, it's like looking over our list, it's like we could have just done crappy movies from, I don't know, the late 80s. Like not studio <laughs> yeah. movies, but crappy indie movies but, from the late but how 80s. Do you co- but how do you come up with a catchy name for the crappy you indie really movies from the, from the late 80s podcast? There really isn't one. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And- Still, though, I mean, you know, people could say that we've had a bad break, like kind of never really finding what this what Alan Smithy podcast was supposed to be about beyond just us talking about movies two at a time, whatever we felt like. But today, 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 I consider myself, 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 the luckiest man, 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 on the face, face, face of the earth, 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 earth. Okay, now I'm turning red, but okay. Uh, also, also, I have Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> I didn't want we to never did Pride of the now. Yankees. What were we <laughs> thinking? Um, yeah, it, we really should have listed all the things we, we later went, wait, why didn't we just do that? Yeah, because there have been a can lot we, of those. Can we coin Alan Smithy podcast disease as like when you don't know what your podcast is supposed to be and you just let it ramble on for six years? That'd work. I think that's an Alan Smithy disease, kind of, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we never, Esther House disease. Esther House disease. I think we started talking about doing, uh, what the hell was the, uh, the, the Walter Hill sci-fi movie uh, that they had to get a new pseudonym for? Uh, do you remember what I'm talking about with Angela Bassett and... Uh, James Spader, uh, I'm gonna, it's going to take me two seconds here. Here we go. Uh, Supernova, when they had to come up with a different um, pseudonym. We talked about doing that for years. Uh, and we never did it. Yeah. We could have paired that with something like Sunshine real easy. Um, yeah, I think, you know, in some ways, I think what made the podcast – Really interesting is it is it, it did start out as a as a clash of um, sort of film interests, um, and that that's why it's not going to find a niche is because it is a clash. <laughs> even though that's what made it made it more interesting than not. Um, this has not been so much a podcast, a movie podcast, as a character study of two <laughs> of two of two movie fans. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean... I should kill someone, and then, you know, the cops can just, you know, go... Like, somebody who wants to write a book can just listen to every episode and profile me. Not until I set it up to, uh, you have to buy every episode. Wait, hold on. Hold off on that idea. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of things... We never really talked a lot about um, the blogging aspect of it, either. No, we would would just... We, we would just plug our blogs at the We'd very plug end. It. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, it, it's changed a lot. Back when we started, um, I approached Matt to do a podcast because he was the guy who was writing about the things that were interesting at the time in 2000 and 
probably seven and eight. Um, and you found stop button through MRQE and John Carpenter reviews. Right. And then we started. Reading yeah. I each actually, other. Knew, I knew who you were before you had contacted. Yeah. Me, so I was just over I, the moon, you know, and I started reading Cinemachine and you were in college at that point. And so, yeah. And we just were like, Hey, let's just do this podcast. Cause why not? We both like John Carpenter and think Quentin Tarantino's overrated and fuck the dark Knight, So we could just, we can do a podcast. And, uh, yeah, it took us a while to realize, Hey, maybe we should come up with a better idea than just that. Um, yeah. People think it's so weird when I explain that I've known you for six years and I've never met you. I know. I know that. Yeah, exactly. Because I've started doing a podcast with someone I've known for. Uh, I do my comics podcast, and I guess I've known the guy I do the pod- that for maybe 10 years, I guess, maybe. And so, but we, we actually were, uh, you know, we're, we're friends and it, I was just listening on that Matt Geekab podcast where it was like, they're like, why did we do a podcast? Oh, it's because we, you know, don't live near each other. So we talk every once in a while and we're like, hey, this is actually interesting. We should turn it into a podcast. And it's like, that's kind of my comics podcast thing because it's, I'm the comics reviewing guy who does a bunch of stuff. He does a comics retail thing. But yeah, we've never met each other. Yeah, I think that I was is, in- uh that's um, the Comics Fondle podcast, That's by the, the Comics way. Fondle ComicsFondle.com. Yeah, but yeah, so us never having met each other, I was trying to, I was talking to somebody about finishing off the podcast. And I'm like, you know, it's really weird. We've been doing this forever and I've really enjoyed it. And it's like, I've never met Matt. It's really weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, God, when I think back of like trying to build a rapport at the time, I mean, oh. we had barely—that's that's the thing—we had barely even talked. Like, we would, before we, we never would. We didn't know. Yeah, we didn't do. We didn't do a pilot. We didn't do an ash can of the thing. We the the first episode would have just been the first time we ever hit record, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. And, it, and before that, it was like emails were, hey, do you want to do a podcast? And I was like, sure. And <laughs> yeah. then, you know, the back and forth trying to figure out a name. But then it was just like, yeah. And then I, I assume that we did really, really long podcasts and split them up. So I think by the time we hit. Well, that's that's like eight. That's seven months, I would say, before we started doing the the pairings. So yeah, we spent about seven months building rapport and you're not gonna, that was very indicative. I think at the time for podcasts that it was sort of a creation of, you know, the internet, whereas now it's. Yeah. And then something else too, about uh, just Skyping is that like, you know, I think we've done all right, but um, a podcast that you do on Skype is never going to be as good as if you're in the same room with right. the other guy. Yeah, because there's just natural conversational dynamics that'll happen if you can see each other, especially and, for the commentaries. I feel. Oh like. yeah, yeah, those were cumbersome to work out on a technical level. But you know, all, all the podcasts that we were mentioning, you know, the ones that have kind of taken off um, and are you know done by professional comics. Uh, those are all two guys in a room looking at each other, riffing with each other kind of thing. So it's closer to like Howard Stern or Opie and Anthony in terms right. of just having a, a good natural energy and flow. But I mean, heck, we did it long. We did this long enough that we learned to uh, 
to anticipate each other's rhythms and stuff and give each other time to talk. I think I think a good bounty, um, and I, I guess you'd have to leave a comment either on – well, probably the website because I don't check the iTunes comments anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be – I remember there was one episode where I was – it was toward the beginning – and I think it was a pairing, and I was falling asleep. And you, <laughs> co- you commented on it after we were done. Um, I do like, not hey, remember what episode. I don't either, but you were like, hey, thanks for, you know, I, you were like, hey, I could tell you were getting tired. Thanks for sticking it out. So that's the bounty. If you can figure out what episode that was, dear listener, your, <laughs> your free, your prize. Wait, crap. How many listeners do we have? Because I just oh, prob- probably sixteen at least by now. Okay, so if we have sixteen listeners and they have to go back through, am I safe with offering? I'm actually offering as a bounty prize, uh, Trancers City of Lost Angels, which Whoa. I just what's up? I just discovered it's out on DVD. Uh, that's the short movie sequel to Trancers that they did is like a promo that Paramount never released. And this is really old Alan Smithy stuff. This is, I was inspired by Rage War and Dungeon Master (laughs) that, you know, Full Moon used to have to, you know, bend over backwards to impress Paramount Home Video. And so they did a bunch of short movies and Charles Band released it. So yeah, if you can figure out the episode where I was falling asleep... And mm-hmm. Matt was carrying the episode. You will get yourself a free copy of Trancer's City of Lost Angels on DVD, starring Academy Award winner Helen Hunt. Rockin'. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we, uh... Well, I mean, another big thing was we figured out how to do a time limit. <laughs> because right. before that, we were just like, Buh. Yeah, we've Too cut hard. it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've cut, yeah. We don't have work to go tomorrow to go to tomorrow. Who cares? Um, yeah, and then we got it to be about a half an hour per good movie, half an hour per bad movie. Yeah. But even even that, we run over. But who cares? It's just that an hour is about an ideal length for a podcast. <sighs> Funny how they've been called podcasts, despite the fact that nobody's listening to them on their iPods anymore. Or maybe they are. In any case, Ad, Apple probably wishes they had trademarked that. Maybe they have. Or figured out how to monetize it. Per- how to monetize it, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, should we start wrapping this thing up yeah, forever? <laughs> <laughs> For, forever now? Um, you know, cinemachine.blogspot.com is still up and running. I'm planning to relocate my film writing to matthewherwitz.com, as I mentioned earlier, and, and just start writing again because I've really, you know, been away from it for a while. And it's not for, it's not for lack of ideas. It really isn't. It's just for lack of time. Um, I'm also uh, doing a lot of cartooning these days, and you can check out my comics and cartoon strips on sissylaughs.com. That's S-I-S-S-Y. L-A-F-F-S, sissylaughs.com. And, uh, you know, speaking of comics, I mean, we've mentioned Comics Fondle. You've, you're, you're, I, I enjoy Comics Fondle just as much as I enjoy the stopbutton.com. Yeah, I, I've, I've really tried um, in the last year and a half to really um, turn comicsfondle.com into I, – I don't know if I mentioned this on an episode, but I think I mentioned it to you once in a pre-show was just that – with the comics fondle 
there's a lot less of a time commitment into uh, reading the, digesting the material. And so you right. can kind of control what it is a lot easier than a movie blog where your time commitment's a lot different. And so, yeah, Comics Fondle. Uh, which what, has its own podcast which with has your buddy Vernon Wiley. Vernon he's Wiley. A re- he's a retailer. You're a reader. It's a great dynamic. And um, you can focus more on that podcast now. Uh, and, I, don't, yeah, I don't know. This, he, can't, he can't figure out Skype. So. Oh, well, stopbutton.com, though, still going strong, still updated almost every, you know, Monday through Friday, and uh, I still highly enjoy that. You're a great movie blogger, and uh, yeah, I hope you keep doing that for uh, for the rest of your days. Yeah. Um, but Alan Smithy Podcast, uh, it's been a good run. It's been a fun run. Um, anybody out there who stuck with us for any duration of time, thank if you. You're, if you're listening to this now, thanks. Thank we hope you. you we much. hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy and, it. And I will say that if if you are out there listening and and you did record some like asinine comment about us, there'd be an episode 100 or one of that. I'm just throwing that out there. But I'd, I'd put in the work to edit together some. <laughs> Some, yeah, I don't know. Do we? We're not. I don't think we have the personalities for that. Like impressions of us. I don't. I don't know. Uh, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I anyway, think it, I think it, I think I think it would be going uh um uh, uh in, mon- in yeah. monotone in a low low pitched monotone. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you can string together. Oh boy. Oh, here we go. If you can string together a theory of cinema that includes John Carpenter, RoboCop, what else? Mad Max. Even though uh, we never watched a Mad Max, <laughs> uh, what else could we throw in here that you would have to thr- string in? Uh, the Dark Knight. Dark Knight uh-huh. sucking. Not You can't like it. Yeah. You have to hate it. Uh, South Korean movies. Um, comic, comic book movies. Warner Brothers comedy sequels. Uh, Paul Verhoeven. Um... Yeah. Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase. Uh, yeah, if you could string together some rant on that, yeah, that'd be an episode one. I, I'd throw together a, a special commemorative of that. But, yeah, so I, I think that's a, another way of saying thank you for being a listener because I, I do know that there are listeners out there. It's just not really enough to support me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which isn't the listener's fault, of course. It's just... You know, no, it's our fault. It's our <laughs> fault for not being um, stand-up comics or... I don't know what. Not lazy, I guess. Yeah. Or, or having jobs, you know. Jobs, um, jobs, blogging, and podcasting, none of those things really go together. Um, right. In some ways, blogging and podcasting doesn't really go together, and jobs in either of the two... Uh, or, or just other interests in general, loved ones. Uh, yeah. Oh heck! All right, look at us making excuses at the bitter end. <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, I always did want to do an episode of uh, significant others having to suffer through some movie we both loved that they hated. I thought that would have been fun. Uh, I don't know if I told you this, but I think it was last summer. Uh, my wife and her friend wanted to do podcast commentaries of the original Star Trek episodes. 
And I was like, and she was like, will you, will you help me figure out how to record it? And I was like, yeah, but I'm going to be a little pissed off because more people are going to listen to that to do to my podcast. Cause like girls talking about geek shit, like that's, that's the new thing. Like I'm going to be pissed off about this. Yeah. She didn't do it. So at least, at least, well, on the I've other got- hand, I'm, I probably haven't sold, she could have sold off the brand, but yeah. Let's pretend to be girls and do a geek girls podcast where we talk about our favorite geeky movies and or girls. All right, let's not. Let's not. Well, I don't know. Could GarageBand change our voices? I don't. I don't think it can. Yeah. Let's go back through every episode and modulate our voices <laughs> to a higher pitch, and remove all the misogyny so that nobody can tell. What was the What was the misogyny episode? Do you remember that one? It was relatively uh, recent. It's called. Every episode was the misogyny episode. Ah. <laughs> uh, and so, this is another reason we could never go mainstream. Yeah, I think so. A little bit. little bit. <clears throat> okay. Right. Um, Anything else? <laughs> Forever? No, I think, I think we took it from, like, some nice, gradual reminiscence. We, now we're just like... This, this, this started out like... It started out like Johnny Carson giving his farewell speech, and it just turned into Lenny Bruce reading his court transcripts. Uh, see, we should have done Lenny. We should have done Lenny and Yeah, Gia. and we the Lenny t- Bruce performance film, right? Uh, what the hell were we thinking? Because yeah, so you know how many people out there like like, s- tear, like Tears in the Rain? Time to die. <laughs> Oh, I, I think I'm going to change the Alan Smithy logo to a dove flying. Right yeah, in the opening shots of The Shining. Okay, so anyway, yeah, so go check out sissylaughs.com because uh, he's not going to say it, but his cartoons are really funny. And uh, he did a Baby Judge Dread thing. I don't know if you've done that again, but that was that was freaking awesome. I, I was showing that to everybody. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need to do more of those. Yeah. And uh, and check out Andrew's uh, comics blog. It's great, comicsfondle.com. And keep reading the stopbutton.com. And I know I haven't updated Cinemachine in forever, but pretty soon check out MatthewHurwitz.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-H-U-R-W-I-T-Z. I'm moving all my film blogging uh, over there and getting serious about it again. And I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of articles, a lot of essays to write, a lot of interviews to conduct. So uh, it's going to be good stuff. But as far as an Alan Smithy podcast, that this about does it. it. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> and thank you for sticking with this really long episode. I don't even want to tell you how many times we've had to uh, stop and start thanks to Skype. Yeah, but uh, – all right, that's it. Yeah, so, that's it. Uh, so uh, for for now, Smithy podcast, and I'm doing my Johnny Carson right now. Uh, we bid you all a very heartfelt thanks for listening. Wake up, you you won't believe the dream I just had.
We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Best of Nalan Smithy Podcasts. This is Penelope Watts. Good evening.